from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. And it's the Relevant Podcast, the one you've been waiting for. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Squarespace.com. Hey, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, which you have, uh, or an online store, uh, it's all possible with your Squarespace website. I Okay, this week I decided, I looked at my own website, and I had to, it just looked ugly, and I was like, how do I do this? And I... I changed it, and it looks like nice and tidy, and it took me like five minutes. Squarespace, there you go. I'm just uh, cre- continually impressed by them. Creating your website with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse. Uh, they make adding a domain to your site simple. If you sign up for a year, you'll receive a custom domain for free for that year. Uh, you can design a best-in-class site or online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more. Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy brands around the world. Start your free trial site today. Uh, just go to squarespace.com and enter the code RELEVANT to get 10% off your, your first purchase when you decide to sign up. So you can start it for free. You can play yeah. around, get your site up and run in, yeah. test test the waters for free. Somebody said no that, credit card required. Yes. But when you decide to sign up, use offer code RELEVANT get 10% off. Somebody tweeted at us this week and said, hey, I've been listening. I'm going to really try it. And I just know we're going to get a follow-up tweet that's like, Seriously, this is incredible. No, it was a daughter <laughs> whose dad had been selling things at, with this like junky online store for years. That's right. And she was so tired of his site looking terrible, she decided to sign up for Squarespace using her offer code yeah. and totally redid his store. And it was funny because she tagged us and Squarespace in her tweet, right? Yeah. Squarespace yeah. then wrote her back, said, hey, we're here. If you need anything while you're doing it, let us know. She started interacting with them, and, and they are just like encouraging her. I mean, they're just being great friends along the way. And, 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 and yeah, she this week I heard she officially took cooljunk.angelfire.biz offline. <laughs> and it's on Squarespace now. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And here with me in our Orlando studio, Eddie Big Cat Coffolds. Nice to see you, Cam. Over there on the ones and twos, our interim producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. When's that over? Does he just get to be a producer? Or I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to talk to him after the show. I vote, uh, my uh, vote is yes. We can go around the room and vote. He's doing a great job. I'm saying, like, whether he ch- wants to continue. Oh, what do you? What, come on. Why wouldn't I? It's a big deal. You're a big deal now. Yeah. <laughs> this is great for my Twitter. I, th- I think we just landed on his nickname, Chandler Big Deal. <laughs> old, old Channing Big Deal. BD. We'll just call him BD for short. Sweet. It's Chandler Big Deal. On the uh, Skype line from Loverly in Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from Portland, Oregon, uh, Joy Egrich Reed. Present. Th- this this is a moment. This is a moment that the podcast has been building up to for probably ten years. 
Oh, yeah. This is a, if you've been listening for a while, we've had a few moments like this episode in our catalog. Uh, John Tesh joined us. Oh, yeah. One, 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 that was one oh, where sorry, I missed that one. a lot of people sure, were that. excited about that one. It was good. Uh, That's a big deal. Uh, Obama was on the show yeah, at yeah. one point. I wasn't um, there for either of them, so I, um, I was only a fan listening to the show. Yeah. Both big moments. And, uh, and, and today, Kevin Max is in the studio yeah. uh, with Eddie. It was awesome. Can I just say? Can I just say that is the millennial Mount Rushmore? Uh, Obama, <laughs> Kevin Max, and John Tesh. I mean, there's a fourth head missing, but uh, I I feel like those are just the gimmies. Uh, so yes, good conversation with Kevin Max. Really good. I mean, he's an interesting guy. And so I'm, last Friday, th- we record on Wednesdays. Show goes up on Friday. Last right. Friday, if you listen to last week's show, yeah. you'll know uh, Kevin uh, flew down and joined us in the studio. Uh, Eddie. Uh, taught two classes that morning at a local school for IJM. <laughs> I did. And then I uh, came right on over wearing his nice blue, uh, light blue Oxford and blue jeans. And uh, Kevin was, perfor- he performed a couple of songs on the piano uh, mm-hmm. of, of his new album. Sounded uh, like an angel. And those, those two songs are coming up later mm-hmm. on the show today. And then Eddie sat down for the definitive interview. I, it's, I, I, we should trademark it. The Koffoltz interview. Yeah, when you don't give me a lot of parameters of how long to go or what to yeah. ask, you got to pretty much just turn off the power before I stop. So it, it happened, the interview happened in three acts because uh, we we had all afternoon. And, three, uh, four and a half hour acts. No, no. Not, not that far from the no, truth. No exaggeration. Uh, it was about three hours long. Yeah. Wow. The, re- the recording is three hours long. He's yep. Kevin Max, you guys. Eddie, do, you, Eddie do you feel like a new man? I do. I feel like I got to ask all the questions that I wanted to ask, and I feel like, um, yeah, I'm friends with a person from DC Talk, so I feel like everything I ever wanted. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, what you did to Kevin, I I felt I felt for Kevin, but I felt, but I've been in your seat yeah. because uh, a few years ago, through mutual friends, Ryan Anderson, NBA player Ryan Anderson, yes. who was transitioning from the Orlando Magic, who had been on right. our team for several years, to the New Orleans Pelicans, right. He came in the studio yeah. and uh, for a little quick eight-minute podcast interview. Yeah, I had him there for two and a half hours. You got to, and, <laughs> and, and I asked him not only everything I could think of for the podcast. I then just started asking him about all the stuff going on at the Magic. Right. Well, well, well Eddie, you know this is like I said, it was is it, it's a twelve-hour interview that we're whittling down uh, to nineteen minutes yeah. later. Yeah, but um, he, you know, he was he was he he was straight up. With with Kevin, he was like, "Listen, I, w- I want this thing to start at the beginning." He's like, "Well, I was born," and he goes, "No, no, 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 ancestors, mother side, let's begin." Yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I opened up and did like the Louis Gates thing and just went through his ancestry and had just a really deep talk about his heritage. It was really beautiful. But I will say though, it kind of came on the heels, of course, of the DC Talk reunion deal, and so we we addressed that. Yeah, that that was a big deal because Wednesday, last Wednesday. You know, they had been for about a week building up with the vague announcement 2017. Yeah. All the fans were all a Twitter. Everybody was all excited. Something Big something big's going down. Because we and all then- thought that ship had sailed. And then <laughs> and then uh the announcement came that the big moment was that DC Talk's going on a cruise. And uh, Twitter did not take kindly to the disappointment of was, said announcement. It was, it was, I mean, there was no social media. Well, that, can, I, can I say this real quick? And again, I've made it clear. I, I have no, no animosity towards DC Talk. I'm just not really a DC Talk fan and never really have been. What was the big deal? I mean, a cruise this is cool. I mean, let me ask you this: Who has gone on a cruise and had a bad time? Yeah, that. Well, that's, well, you should be part of their management. 
team because that's what their management team thought. Uh, the problem was it was mis it was mis uh, marketed. It was yeah. misrepresented. Yeah. The end result is a fine thing. They should have just come out and said, "Oh, by the way, next summer there's gonna be a DC talk cruise." People were like excited about the news, right. but the anticipation of a reunion or a new album or something like People that. People have expectations that they're gonna be going on an arena tour, yeah. and that's yeah. not that's not what they're. About Again, at this Eddie, point. if you could ask me, would I rather go to an arena show or a five-day cruise show? I'm taking the cruise. Eddie, Eddie, now that you know Kevin Max and you guys are best friends, I mean, do you get the sense? I feel like if I was DC Talk, going and trapping myself for multiple days on a boat with all of my biggest fans sounds like I would want to throw myself overboard. Yeah. I do not get that sense from him. Um, he is two things. One, he is really a pure musician. When we were hanging out at Cameron's that night and there we were off, no one's... P- all he did still was talk about music. Like, that's just what he's thinking about. So I think, first yeah. of all, somebody's like, hey, want to go sing? And he's like, absolutely. Want to sing with your friends? Of course I do. So I think that's his primary. Yeah. Um, the secondary thing, though, is like... He's just into nautical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a great pair of deck shoes that he hasn't been able and to wear. he's heavy, heavy into sea-related voyages <laughs> and vessels. But I think the second reason is, is he's really appreciates the people that are a part of the full... Mm. DC Talk, Kevin Max fan base. And he does stuff all the time, like invites people to his house for poetry readings and things that are very Kevin Max-like. And uh, so I, I think he's looking forward to it. Yeah, no, no, no. I think all three guys are looking forward to it. They were really caught off guard with the negative reaction. And, yeah. and, and I mean, it was it was intense. Yeah, was well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've been invited to his home before for Tales of the Sea Night. So <laughs> this, this, none of this was no surprising. Surprise. It was purely an expectations game. <laughs> it was an expectations game. They, they should game. not have called it a reunion. Yeah. They should have said anything. They should have had people they realize. But Eddie, they didn't call it a reunion. They put up a date. And yeah. that happened to be a cruise reservation date. Right. Again. <laughs> right, right. You, you, Eddie, it was people like you. you these people these, like me. <laughs> people who have unrealistic expectations that they heap a call. These people are people, man. They're people just like everyone else that love uh, 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 the, you know, their music, their they, fans. They love the sea. And, and boat. <laughs> all-you-can-eat buffets and <laughs> shows, okay? So sue them. The thing that disappointed me about the cruise only is the fact that in order to see those three guys sing on stage, which is what I really want to see, I don't care if it's a big club, a arena, I don't care, is that I have to take a week of vacation yeah, and be on a yeah. boat for a week. It's just inaccessible for most people, right. and I, I think me included. Like, I just don't have a, a Well, and week that's where I'm saying in. I think, I think it's going to be the hands-down most dedicated just crazy fans and then they're going to be trapped with them on a boat for a week the idea of being trapped on a boat with anybody that has sort of a con i want to go onto a cruise ship where basically it's just a bunch of families and nobody cares and i'm sitting by but the fact that we're all there for a common reason makes it like everybody's like oh cool yeah let's see you want to grab a drink i'm like just I, I I'm gonna I gotta jump. So coming up later, Kevin is our only <laughs> guest. Uh, he is the interview Finally. and two performances. It is a Kevin Max show today on the Relevant Podcast. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you guys a real quick question about cruising? <laughs> is there a thematic cruise you would want to go on? Because I, I can think of one off the top of my head. I totally do. Well, like, here's the deal. Magic I love cruise. cruising. It, <laughs> <laughs> not not Orlando magic. Not oh, see, Orlando. I'm, acting, I'm yeah. acting like I'm asking you guys a question, but I really want to answer this for all so, of you. No. Because if it was a magic, if it was just round the clock. <laughs> magic shows that sounds you know i don't think i ever retired to the cabin yeah. <laughs> um so i my favorite kind of vacationing is cruising because it strikes every kind oh. of every kind of uh thing oh. in me it takes me around to awesome locations 
I did somebody makes up my room three times a day. I don't have to think there. I, I there's no internet. I can, unlimited food, relaxation, fun. Awesome locations. You're porting in a place that is swamped by merchants and you never see anything beyond like a 300 foot radius. You of the are port. a fascinating person. You got to go on a good cruise because yes. the Caribbean is unbelievable. St. Martin, St. John, St. Thomas. Uh, uh, give me a private boat. I oh, can't. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, the Royal Caribbean things, rock climbing walls and ice skating rinks and wave oh machines. And, oh, ice it's amazing. skating rink on the boat? Again, you need to go on a decent boat but you yes it's they have of, a pool on your boat yeah. <laughs> that's amazing joy's Joy like the worst part was having to wear the life vest the whole time <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, it was hard to sleep in that I, I did get used to throwing out shrimping nets every morning though, for a couple hours <laughs> you did it wrong yeah. I, I will say i thought growing up every birthday i wanted to go to old country buffet so i thought a buffet on a ship alone was gonna sell old me but country buffet oh, oh yeah you are <laughs> i'm not i'm not criticizing old country buffet but i am curious yeah was the reason that it, in your mind when you decided that this was going to be the destination to celebrate your you, I, i'm presuming like your family on your birthday your parents were like you know you can go anywhere you want where, where should yeah. the family go out? and when you were choosing old company country buffet was the appeal the buffet element like in your mind is that like the pinnacle of the dining experience yeah but there was no <clears throat> there were so many selections and i could have as much as i wanted <laughs> and and the ice cream machine and i mean they, you know they do, the, they do the soft serve and the ice cream for me <laughs> country <laughs> fried steak and ice cream <laughs> dad take <laughs> country buffet and the again, other question again. I've the been hungry since lunch <laughs> that, that your choice the other question that your choice begs is you chose old country buffet which is basically like the, the poor man's golden corral <laughs> the, why didn't you the just, poor man's golden corral is really saying something right. well i'm just saying i'm not saying I, I, it's it's like it's the it's a tier just below golden yeah corral. it's like the poor man's larry the cable guy why not yeah why not golden corral well I, look I we didn't go out to eat much. We were pastor's family. We ate yeah. at home, and I probably had had it one right. time. And I was like, "This is Mecca, and I need to come here as much as I can." So I don't even know if I had tasted and seen of the Golden Corral. I and didn't again, know. Again, there's the cruising problem. Exactly. Exactly. Oh uh, well, we have a great show, as you know. But uh, let's move things along because we got the normal. In case you missed it, we got the normal slices, and right. then Kevin. Okay. Yeah. Right. This is a big thing. And we got it packed in case you missed it this week. A lot happened. So it's time for our look back at what happened this week in culture and entertainment. It's time for In Case You Missed It. Well, it's the uh, time of year when colleges are commencing, you know. Oh, I see. And then the people yeah. walk across the stage and they get their da, things. Right? Da, yeah. da, 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 at Liberty da, University, da. the largest Christian university by far. They had a notable commencement this past week. They had speakers that were a little uh, unexpected. Liberty grad and keynote speaker Rashad Jennings. He's an NFL running back. He was there. Then the Duck Dynasty star uh, Willie Robertson was there. He was there anyhow. Yeah. They just, just hanging out. Just <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> Can I say this real quick? What does it say about the state of evangelicalism when several of our most prominent public intellectuals are members of the Duck Dynasty family. <laughs> I'm not saying anything bad about them, but why are they speaking at colleges and like making big statements about social issues? Phil Robertson takes a stand. I'm, these are these are our spokesmen now. Look, the reality show is funny, but these are the guys. Yeah, yeah, they're the GOP nominee. So yeah, it's exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, screenwriter Randall Wallace. He he was there. He spoke, and uh, and also. 
Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. Now, one of those is <laughs> not surprising. Yeah. What? Who? Mel Gibson. Yeah. He's just a real wild card. Yeah. Nothing that guy does ever surprises me. But wait, Vince wait, Vaughn. Vince Vaughn? Yeah. So, At Liberty. Yeah, yeah. So Vaughn stars in the film Hacksaw Ridge. It's about uh, a World War One hero from Lynchburg. Uh, the movie's directed by Mel Gibson and was written by Randall Wallace, who uh, Randall uh, uh, wrote Braveheart and Heaven is for Real. So he's a kind of a he's a strong Christian guy. So these two guys are, you know, part of this new film that Randall Wallace was kind of promoting. So they're there to promote their film. And they got up and spoke during the Liberty um, commencement uh-huh. here. Here It's just a little awkward, but you can judge for yourself. Here's Mel Gibson. Wow. I, I had a shower, washed my hair. You know, I didn't even get a robe. I'm actually, I'm partial to the green color, but there's only one green guy here. I think he got it first anyway. You know, last in, but the worst dressed, I guess. And I got the beard memo, right? Looks good. Yeah, Jerry and I were growing tandem whiskers, and uh, we tell each other that, uh, you know, the white in there means wisdom. Uh, I came here to see if some of it would rub off, and I thank Jerry for inviting me. I came here 12 years ago, as he said, uh, when Jerry Sr. was here, and he was very kind to me when I was getting a pretty good hiding for that superhero, the ultimate superhero film I made. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for their friendship and acceptance over the years, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Look at all you folks. What is it, 35,000 people? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. So, so uh, you know, there's that. That was Mel. Okay, here, but here's what you need to hear. Here's Vince Vaughn at Liberty University, yeah. where he has no desire to be. Yeah. Nice to be with you here today. <laughs> you can hear the enthusiasm. He's yeah. already tempering. Mel does not uh, tell stories out of school. Uh, I'm a great talker, but I'm a fantastic singer, and I thought maybe I could do a Whitney Houston song for you guys. And I want to dance with somebody. Um, the, the, there's no context for that joke, by the way. He's not that, referencing but, uh, <laughs> All right, so just. I feel like uh, we got a great experience. I want to thank uh, Jerry and, and Becky for making us feel welcome. Uh, their, their kids, they were fantastic. Very well, Junior, by the way. On this commencement day, I feel like we got an important example of what it's like to go to school here. We found <laughs> at, ourselves at, at this point, you realized that he didn't know he was coming on stage and to talk about And we did not anything. go down the jumps. <laughs> That seemed intimidating, but we did go down the, the tubing part, which was exciting. Um, and this it's is a, a fun moment when you're going fast, and then you see the pad, and you start to wonder, is that pad going to stop me from going through the pad? And then once it does, you say, well, we'll stop two of us or three of us. So, uh, what is this? That was very fun last night, and we topped it off with a cookout burger, which was exciting as well. Oh, that sounds like He's literally day. just talking about the but, last um, yeah, exactly. I want to say congratulations <laughs> uh, to all of you and your families on this great day. What a great accomplishment and a uh, great place to, to share this experience with each other and uh, excited for your oh. futures and for all that lies ahead of you. All the best to you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us here today. Thank you, guys. The worst graduation speech of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off with, like, a joke that is, is like, I'm going to start off by singing Whitney Houston. It has no context. It's like, it's but wait, wait, are you sure, are you sure there like, was no context I, for the Whitney Houston are joke? They allowed yeah, to dance, are they allowed to dance at Liberty? 
I don't I don't know if they're allowed to dance at Liberty. A lot of Christian colleges are not. But you know what's ironic about this is that like n- until last year, Liberty students were not allowed to watch R-rated films. So 99% of Vince Vaughn's films they shouldn't have been able to know who he was. Yeah, they're like Bill. Who is this guy? They they would have been fined fifty dollars for breaking uh, the oh, honor yeah. code. And uh, they're like Vince. We have a question in the back. And they're like, Yeah, yeah. Um, how well do you know Kirk Cameron? Is he <laughs> <laughs> cool? We have another question. Yeah, what is Kirk Cameron like? That's all they know. Can we have Willie again? Willie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just like when Vince Vaughn was in his hotel the night before. He's like, All right, I gotta write this big. I'm speaking to thirty thousand people who have spent all this money and all this time preparing to graduate college i have to leave this something with inspire that's gonna inspire him and he's like okay obviously i lead with the whitney houston joke. <laughs> yeah. Nothing I, I, say, I say that because i spoke at liberty's chapel and right before i went up on stage this uh woman sang his eyes on the sparrow which is from sister act two so i get up and i start singing i start rapping the part from sister act two the joy <laughs> joyful lord well, so now, wow now the recording of it doesn't have have the woman singing his eyes on the sparrow and just non sequitur, if you will, is me rapping from Sister Act 2 and then going into my talk. So. But, the, wow. but the other thing, like Vince Vaughn, it's like he told this tubing story that really had no ending. Like, in his mind, he had sort of formed the idea that it was going to be a story and then he just kind of trails off. He was like, and I went tubing and I kept wondering, what if I go through the pad? Well, the pad stop well, me. What if stop the pads don't hold? Would it, what, anyway, w- well, if the pad could hold me, I wonder if it would hold two or three of us. <laughs> so then I, and it's like, is this a metaphor? Is this a metaphor yeah. about my future? Or is he just <laughs> rambling here? Is he just trying to think of something, anything? <laughs> Gotta to tell say. you, it was a big mistake. No, he did not know he was going to be called up on stage. Yeah. yeah, well, it was probably like they called him up on stage and right before they were like, uh, this is a place where you can't swear. And so the whole time he's just thinking, don't swear, don't swear, don't swear. And that's don't what comes swear, out. Don't reference, out. Uh, uh, yeah, anything you did from swingers through wedding crashers, you're up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he had to have sat down with his, his, his agent after this and is like, to be clear, I did a movie with Mel Gibson and I just spoke at Liberty. So maybe we could think about who I associate with. Because uh, <laughs> I got a different brand I'm trying to build here. It's, it's the same. It's the same thing that DC Talk guys had with the uh, the cruise uh, uh, publicist. Yeah, yeah. So so listen. After we wrap a uh, True Detective on HBO, yeah. we're gonna head over to Liberty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in case you missed it, this week Justin Timberlake and An- uh, Anna Kendrick released an incredible cover oh of. Of True Colors. Oh, my gosh. That was almost as good as, uh, I'm sure... The Whitney Houston song, I Want to Dance with Somebody. (laughs) Covered by Vince Vaughn at Liberty. Liberty. Yeah, no, the Cindy Lauper track, True Colors. Uh, It happened at Cannes uh, Film Festival, and it went viral. Here is a clip of of the cover. JT playing the guitar? Yeah. And another guy. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn comes up in a minute. Yeah. (laughs) He reads from two Corinthians. Vince You'll hear Mel Gibson have a tirade in the background in just a minute.
Reminding me of my house on Friday night, hearing you <laughs> it sing. Was beautiful. That was really. Isn't that beautiful? Friday Friday night. Are the, we doing this now? The karaoke. Yeah. Okay. The karaoke time. Three song set. We had we had we had uh, we had dinner. It was a nice dinner. After di- after dinner, I, I gathered everybody outside under the stars. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had the string lights up and the big long table and the whole thing. And uh, and I after dinner gathered everybody in the family room. And uh, Kevin shared a couple minutes, you know, just with the the group is a lot of like creatives and just people who are like, you know, chasing their dreams. <laughs> and one and so guy he, who's like knee is shaking in the corner, yeah. getting sweaty and excited. Uh, Eddie literally <laughs> was holding the guitars. He was sitting there while Kevin was talking for a minute. Now, granted, this wasn't very long. This is just maybe less than five minutes. Yeah. And uh, Eddie couldn't help himself, but he started playing riffs. He really literally did start strumming the musician. guitar. I'm a musician. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, we're going to transition to the next part. Kevin has so graciously... Uh, agreed to indulge uh, Eddie's dreams, and Eddie came up, got a bar stool, sat next to him, and had uh, chord sheets that you had printed out, chord charts. Yeah, heck yeah. What am I going to do? Not have yeah. chords in front of yeah. me? <laughs> and all the lyrics of some DC talk songs in a, in a little black binder. Little black and, binder. Uh, and and We played three songs. Three songs. Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie, right. which was actually, he, he was really amazing on that. Because I knew he was like a David Bowie fan, yeah. so I wanted to yeah. like, you yeah. know, <clears throat> he was amazing. Then we did In the Light. Yeah. And he was great at like, because I'm pretty focused on not, not like just not messing up. Yeah, he is like getting people into it. Yeah, uh, people are singing parts. Oh, he's a performer. Yeah. He's throwing. He's throwing. Yeah. Eddie, 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 like stopped about halfway through that song. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Eddie just like stopped for a second and just goes. He was just overcome. Yeah. And, he, and he just goes, <laughs> Kevin, you're so good. Yeah. And then he just kept yeah. going. I believe what I said is, you sound just like you. Because he did, he sounds just like him. No, there was a moment he did yeah, a riff yeah. or something, and you, and you literally yelled, yeah, so, "Kevin, you're so good." He is so good, Eddie. About you know halfway through the set, where you're like, "Okay, I need to break it up here. I need to, I need to tell a funny story." Yeah. <laughs> you're like, so I was tubing. I was thinking about the pad. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah. I'm gonna do a Whitney Houston uh, yeah. song. Got a hamburger. Got a hamburger. <laughs> Back to you, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. And so and then of course we closed with uh, with Jesus Freak. Yeah. And uh, Eddie, can you imitate him? His voice? Can you do it? I, like you can I imitate know. me? Uh, no, no. But I will t- say this: at the end of every song, I assumed like we're kind of wrapping it up, and he gives me the little like keep going thing, and at that point he just soars and yeah. just like. Doing oohs and ahs and all over the place, and, and then was, and then Eddie was just so in the pocket. He's like making the eye contact, and then he goes quietly, "I'm going to end you on an E," and then like <laughs> like, like like bring it in, and then he's like, "Bring it in." There. It was so good. It was almost too good. Like um, such chemistry. It's almost like Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake type right. chemistry. It is, it is the like, best part was when when everything came to a a, a natural uh, you know uh, conclusion for everyone. Eddie yelled out, "Key change." <laughs> Move the capo up a little higher. Oh, oh. <laughs> Modulating. He was awesome. His voice is still magical. It was very, uh, it was a big moment. I, I went home and I was like buzzing. I'm like, Brian, like that was really cool. She's like, I know that was really fun, wasn't it? I'm like, no, 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 seriously. Like he sounded so great. She's like, yeah. Like two really hours did. later. This is pretty late. This is oh, late man. for, for Pop like Pop. About two hours later, I just <laughs> my, hear my phone ding. It just says, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Like it was, he was probably laying in bed, and it was just washing over him the memories of. And what before just people ask, there's no nothing. He doesn't exist. This was it. I'll, yeah. If we see each other, you can ask me about it, and I will tell you beat by beat the entire night. Yeah. But that's the only <laughs> recording of it. 
it was whether awesome. you want to hear it or not, you're he like, oh, will tell oh, you. Oh, you're about not interested. Beat beat. Okay, Vince Vaughn, just have a seat for a second. I need to tell you about something that happened one time. Vince Vaughn, man, Vince Vaughn can really spin some yarns, can he? He can. He loves it. It's like Garrison Keillor, Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn. Willie from Duck Dynasty. It's yeah. it's the great storytellers of our generation. And not only that, you're talking to college grads. You're talking to people on the eve of them entering the most important phase of their life. You have to leave them something here that, when, uh, that, that they're going to remember. That when the times get tough, because they are going to get tough, yeah. that they're going to think back to that commencement. <laughs> yeah. And what did that successful person say to me? You know what? You know what though? The hold on, hold on. Before maybe, I get the... maybe we just don't even <laughs> understand. Maybe that the tubing pad thing was a metaphor that was so deep and profound yeah. that it yeah. will resonate for the rest of their lives. The meaning will reveal itself in time. 20 yeah, years it's later. like I have to make, if I want the cookout burger on the other end of this thing, right. I, have to, I have to think about if what I, it's going to be like if I wreck my body through these pads on some tubing situation that I'm not even totally clear what he's talking about. He's talking about their indoor snow skiing uh, rink. They have um, an indoor snow skiing facility. And so, so what he's talking about, they didn't get on skis. They just did the tubing, the tube, yeah. and they're going, they're they're sledding down the hill, the I, the snow hill indoors, heading toward the padded wall. That's what he's talking about. Life doesn't yeah. have a safety net. That's what he was saying. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Even though the tubing kind of does. <laughs> and he should have really just said, you know, if if you work as hard as me, you're gonna eventually get to speak at Liberty University and do a movie with Mel Gibson. So keep working, kids. You know, uh, in case you missed it, this week Lady Gaga was back in the news and uh, talking about faith and criticism is interesting. The controversy started when she took to Instagram last week to thank Father John Duffel of New York's Blessed Sacrament Church for delivering a beautiful homily at uh, her family's restaurant. The caption with the priest said, I was so moved today when you said the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but the food that God gives us. A few days later, a kind of a Catholic culture site called Catholic Link ran a article, we call them listicles. It said, uh, from Lady Gaga to Steph Curry, five things to remember when celebrities share their faith, which said, quote, many celebrities are sharing Bible verses, quoting priests and singing Christian music, while at the same time still leading a typical Hollywood lifestyle void of Christian values such as modesty and purity. Lady Gaga saw this and uh, took issue with it and then wrote a post herself that said this, Roach Mary Magdalene washed the feet of Christ and was protected and loved by him, a prostitute. Someone society shames as if she and her body are a man's trash can. He loved her and did not judge. He let her cry over him and dry his feet with the hair of a harlot. We are not just celebrities, we are humans and sinners, children, and our lives are not void of values because we struggle. We are as equally forgiven as our neighbor. God is never a trend, no matter who the believer. Gaga for the win, huh? And then the site wrote a response. Oh, no. uh, Thanking the singer for the post and claiming their intention wasn't to judge her. Dear at Lady Gaga, your screenshot was uh, one part of the article which was not aimed at judging you. Rather, it was an effort to help Catholics to have a balanced and positive view of when celebrities publicly share their faith. It was an invitation to value the hunger of God that exists in the world of the famous. It was a reminder to not forget that they, like us, are fragile and that they should not, and that we should not judge. Rather, pray for them. This said, what you wrote is absolutely beautiful. It is one of the most touching comments we have ever read. Know that we will be praying that experience of God's mercy continue to grow and bear fruits for you, for the people that you love, and all of your followers. So there you go. That seems like a healthy dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I felt like this exchange was 
one of the most compelling and vulnerable social media exchanges I've seen with a celebrity in a long time, especially mm-hmm. someone who sort of has a manufactured image. Like, I mean, yeah. even, you know, she goes by a, a made up name. You know, most people don't know her real, oh, her real name, Stephanie. Really? <laughs> uh, but, but, but what I'm, what, what I'm saying is like the, it takes some degree of, of vulnerability to kind of say, I don't have faith all figured out, but you know, don't judge me for trying, right. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that telephone song that she does. Remember that song? It's like about uh, being on a phone. You know that song, Channing. I don't. Gosh, here's a Lady Gaga song. That is my wedding jam. If that song comes on, you can't keep me off the dance floor. I don't care if I'm talking it's to a nun. Let me, let me ask, how many weddings are you currently going to 12 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, man. Who Who's DJing these weddings? Weddings like, here's an obscure Lady Gaga song from 10 years ago that one guy will remember. And then like, it's like, yeah, yeah, the dance floor clears, making weddings for Eddie to yeah, storm yeah. in and just own the room. I was in the middle of confession with a priest over in the corner having yeah. like a long conversation. In I go. I got to dance. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. All wrong. With somebody. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, good job, Joy. In case you missed it, uh, what happened on the site this week, Jesse? We have a story on the site this week uh, called No Moral Decay Isn't Happening in America. And it basically looks at the argument that America, and it's uh, is under some sort of moral decay for various things that are happening in in, in culture or, or social issues. But the point of the piece isn't to say that those issues aren't real, but to have a balanced view of what's happening in our society. Because for a lot of different uh, parts of the, the community and, and society, things have gotten I- improved. You know, we've gone through civil rights. We've gone through uh, equal rights for, for women. And so to, to, to indicate that America is in this constant moral decline without looking at the balanced perspective of things that uh, are being made right uh, diminishes those things. So it's a really interesting piece. It looks at should we be making the argument that we're in a moral decay as a whole instead of addressing issues individually so that we don't diminish major things of progress that that we have uh, uh, made culturally that are a reflection of us moving in the right direction. It's a really interesting piece. Mm. Uh, it's getting a lot of attention I right think, now. I think, uh, well, one, two things. One, I think it's a generational thing. I think a lot, I grew up, like the older generation was just kind of like waiting to be able to go to heaven. Just just kind of the world's getting worse and we're just getting, just kind of holding on to the hope of heaven one day, Jesus mm-hmm. come back soon, you know, because the world's getting worse. Yep. And then our generation's kind of coming up and, and just kind of says, yeah, the world's broken and, and, and there's a lot of need and there's hunger and there's fear. But that's why God put us here. We can be instruments of change. We can be the hands and feet of Christ. We, like, there's an optimism that the world can be better, you know, because because we're here versus us trying to just buy our time and an escape uh, a decaying world, you know? So it's like, there's this, like, are you leaning in or are you leaning back? Are you, is it fear and defensive or are you engaging? And that's Yeah, real quick, if I can read a line from the story that to underscore that, it says, these days are not perfect days, but they are good days. They are days that God in his wisdom has for us. No, America is not yet the thing it could be, but that has always been true. Yes, the world has its darkness, but light is still our default setting. So just like what Cameron said, if, if, if our outlook is, it's not like the good old days, 
then instead of saying thy kingdom come, you know, that's one thing the article references, that our job is to make the world better. That's what we're called to do through the gospel and to have an outlook that everything is just uh, going to to pot and we got to get out of here as soon as we can is the wrong outlook to have. Kind of, there's a little bit of a parallel to me about the conversation that happened between uh, like Lady Gaga and that, and that blog. There's a little bit of like, we're both seeing things from a pretty accurate perspective. Like I, mm. I could see the original point and then I, Gaga's response is, was like, oh yes, that's what we were all kind of like, there's a generational shift of like, that's what we think. This is who we are. We're broken. We're going to be honest about messiness and hopefully Jesus is okay with that. And it's just an interesting thing about just seeing the parallels between like what you were saying, the generational shift and how we are viewing faith in light of, just how we were raised. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, not to get like, and maybe <clears throat> maybe this is not something that I don't know, not to be overly political, but it's something like why a phrase like "Make America Great Again" is problematic, is because what what right. time are you going back to that was so much more ethical that yeah. you know that what what period are we looking back to to say those were the days that we need to revert to instead of saying even though there is brokenness right now. It's not about decay. It's not going back to something that was great. It's about you redeeming the brokenness, but also looking at the things that have gotten better as examples of how the church and Christ are redeeming things. That's what people do with church, though, too. They're like, oh, I want to be a church. It's just like the Acts 2 church. I'm like, Acts, it was a mess already back then. There wasn't a time when the church was this fully perfect realized thing. Yeah, I, I want mean, to be in the 2016 church. Right, Paul is writing letters over and over again to basically churches that are just a gigantic mess. And he's and saying, he's saying, I mean, yes, maybe that pad will stop you, but you don't know <laughs> if the pad will stop two or two three more, of you. Yeah. Let's go get and, a hamburger. And if you're worried about it, how are you going to get the cookout burger tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. so, that's, so that's what I'm saying. So a provocative piece... Uh, for for certain, uh, but but one that I really feel like, like I said, like uh, Cameron was talking about, I, I feel like touches a a generational nerve and is starting some interesting dialogue. It's on relevantmagazine.com right now, and that'll do it for. In case you missed it, it's time for entertainment releases. Music coming out on May twenty seventh. Uh, Seth and Nerva are coming out with Never Alone. They're never alone because Seth is always with Nerva. They're just together. That's two people. Those are two Seth people and Nerva. Yep. Good for them. Yeah. I hope they have a nice They found time. each other. They're never alone. Last success. Their album's coming out Good May 27th. For them. Don't you drop also show. coming out on May 27th, Thrice is back. Uh, the album is uh, To Be Everywhere is To Be Nowhere. It's a metaphor for uh, reuniting on a cruise. So, <laughs> <laughs> Did you pre-write that or did you just think perfect. of that? That was perfect. Just, just, that was really nice. That was too polished. <laughs> that was really good. Off the cuff. <laughs> just read it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, movie releases coming out May 27th. X-Men Apocalypse. It's the Christian uh, installment about the X-Men. All about end um, times. Uh, Randall Wallace, I think, wrote it. And uh, Vince Vaughn and, and Mel Gibson are starring in it. Yeah, Tim, Tim LaHaye was... Uh, Tim LaHaye, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Yeah, that's good. It ends... It ends with a, a guillotine scene and uh, Wolverine does not take the mark. So, uh, <laughs> the cameo by Kirk Cameron. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. you seen the original Similar. Thief in the Night? Not Left Behind, Thief in the Night. Like the seven, like the creepy no. 70s one. No. Yeah, of course I, I've seen it. Okay, okay. So the <laughs> that was the most confusing ending. To, like, it made no sense why they... Spoiler alert, by the way. If you haven't seen this 40-year-old apocalypse movie... 
the last scene in the movie, you, like you followed this hero from the beginning who, 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 though she was left behind, has come to the knowledge of, of, of what has happened and has dedicated herself to being a Christian through the tribulation. And the last scene, she is dragged before the forces of the Antichrist and placed under a guillotine because she refuses to take the mark. And you're like, this is how the movie's going to end with a martyr, with like a champion of this is the example. And as the blade is falling, she yells, I want the mark. The blade falls, and that's the end of the movie. What is that even? Why do they end it like that? Because <laughs> that's what happens sometimes, man. It's real like, life. It's, no, like, Jesse, it's, it's like Jesse. the bad thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's saying. Like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. It's just sometimes. It's like the guillotine is it's good for one of you. But you don't know if the guillotine is going to be sufficient for two or three of you. That's we've, right. ju- we've just now realized the reference that Vince Vaughn was making <laughs> yeah. to this film. He, he was in pretty deep on this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he spent all night. He's like, I got 90 seconds here. I need this thing to be layered and have <laughs> tons of metaphors that only these kids at Liberty are going to get. Also coming out May 27th, Alice Through the Looking Glass, the Johnny Depp and Hathaway uh, movie. Vince oh. Vaughn also uh, appears in that one and Luke. has an odd rambling moment and then leaves. He's just making cameos. Low expectations. Eddie, don't start talking about Anne Hathaway. We got to stop before we're ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just... <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for entertainment releases. Johnny is just such a in generous ca- in, actor. In case you missed it, <laughs> like the, it was just the cool, behind like... the behind the scenes of what happened uh, with Kevin Max. He would just be off camera, just feeding me lines when he didn't even need to. It's just like it was a gift. Yeah, it was a gift. It was a real gift to work with John. Stay tuned. <laughs> Up next, slices. Some people try, but they can't find the magic. Others get down on their knees and they pray. I come alive when I'm close to the madness. No easy love could ever make me feel the same. Make me feel the same. Make me feel the same, same, same. Listen to One Republic. The song is Wherever I Go. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Future Islands, not to be confused with Lonely Islands, who also have a new album. Yeah. Uh, but Future Islands, the song is Seasons, yeah. Waiting on You. Love that song. It's amazing. All right. It's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? Uh, so uh, it looks like Netflix may actually be causing a public health crisis or potentially could. Um uh, Business Insider recently crunched some numbers uh, from cordcutting.com that looked at how much time the average Netflix subscriber spends binge-watching uh, shows. So it's a, it's an average. So it doesn't mean everyone who has uh, Netflix uh, spends this amount of time, but some people spend a lot, some people spend a little. Um, but they found on average people spend 100 minutes a day Binge-watching programs on Netflix. Wow. A hundred minutes a day. That's crazy. Just to put that into perspective, that's more time than than people have uh, uh, said that they spend participating in sports, uh, exercise, or or, uh, recreation, relaxing and thinking, reading, and socializing and communicating. It's it's bigger than each one of those categories, and it's more time than all of those combined wow. in a single day. Hmm. Wow, 
So not only is Netflix cutting into the amount of time we do, uh, we spend doing things like reading and uh, just kind of vegging out and, and thinking. It's also more than the amount of time that we spend exercising or even talking to people. But, these days. but I mean, is this any different than before binging? It was just you watch TV that much? Yeah, it, it feels like there's more pressure these days because of the advent of on-demand viewing to constantly be filling time with, you know, shows that are now part of like a common cultural conversation where before, like if you missed something that was an appointment viewing, it wasn't that big a deal. You know, like it, right. it wasn't, I, it's it, like that Portlandia skit where they, you know, they go to yeah. a dinner party and no one can find anything to talk about because they're like, Oh, look, can we talk? Let's talk about Mad Men. And someone's like, Oh, I'm, I'm haven't quite caught up yet. And someone's like, Oh, well let's talk about breaking bad. Oh, I haven't, you know, like it, there is yeah. like this pressure to know all the shows because they're available to us all. That's the cruise I'd go on. Just a Netflix <laughs> cruise. Just a binge stay, watching cruise. Stay in yeah. your windowless room, <laughs> talk back and forth, and watch Mad Men. Yeah, and then every once in a while I break for the crab legs, and then we're back in the room watching more Netflix. <laughs> Bloodline season two. That's how I watched uh, West Wing. I, I literally, oh, yeah. they, the and this was, you know, maybe five years ago, yeah. the internal channel. Yeah. Had West Wing just in order, season one, season two, just and whatever. And that's exactly what I did. Stayed in, it was an interior room, stayed in bed, watched West Wing, would go the get Caribbean a buffet and come back and watch West Wing <laughs> for sound, three straight days. That sounds pretty cool. Didn't go outside. It was well, the most okay. relaxing weekend ever. It sounds awful and awesome. It was incredible because yeah. you had the slow rocking. It was the most relaxing sleep. You leave, somebody's going to change When I vacation, I want to. I don't want adventure. I have. A, I travel a lot for work and have adventures. I want straight relaxation, and yeah. that's what cruising does for well, me. Well, no, and you, I and I agree with the relaxing process of it, but it is interesting. Start paying attention to people's languages of like this, um, almost like a guilt. Oh man, I've got to catch up on that show, as opposed to oh, I'm so excited to watch this show. Do, do you guys feel like the too. advent? of Netflix and on-demand viewing and binge-watching has made you watch more television? Yes. No. Yeah. I've, oh, always, yeah. I've always watched a ton of TV. No, I haven't, but this has. See, I, yeah. see, but back in the day, it was like, well, Channel 35 would tell me what I was, you know, quote-unquote binge-watching because they put on Dick Van Dyke reruns and they put on, you know, Bob Newhart show reruns and, and I would just watch those every day. Gosh, I used well, to watch only the news as I got ready for work and SNL. That was all I watched basically until Netflix came yeah. out. Really? And, then well, and the like, most brilliant yeah. thing that they do is the, the um, you know, the next episode is starting in 10, 9, 8. They yeah. don't even let you have a moral, like, should I watch another one? Until it just they starts. shame you with, are you still watching? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> until it's like, okay, it's getting concerning. It's been five hours. If this isn't because you're using a lot of our bandwidth here, we want to make sure we're not wasting it. It's like, this is a health concern at this point. You haven't moved. Uh, for for a concerning amount of time, I, you know, at this point, you know, blood clotting is a risk. <laughs> well, what didn't didn't um, they create those socks? Did those take off? Where the socks know if you're asleep and they shut off Netflix so you don't yeah, lose your place? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Socks? That's amazing. But yeah. it is wow. it is crazy. Just that's the, the next thing for Bombas. Yeah, right. yeah Netflix <laughs> yeah. sucks. It's just how, it, you know, the advent of not just Netflix, but the on-demand entertainment, the internet in general, has completely shifted how a lot of people, maybe not everyone, maybe a lot of people watched a lot of TV prior to that, but how a lot of people are spending a lot of their waking hours compared to other major categories. It's different than any time in human history. 
I don't watch a ton of Netflix just because like I'm like I don't know what I want when I when I plop down in front of a TV I just kind of go through the guide I I want to like oh yeah I feel like that now that you've shown me what's yeah, possible right that's right Netflix I have to sit down and kind of think about well, I the, choose to watch Netflix, it. doesn't it recommend they do yeah they say you probably would like this yeah, but, but maybe maybe Cohen's choice has really ex- messed up your selection yeah. <laughs> exactly it's exactly yeah. what happened yeah. I, I, so I, I have this weird mixture of oh, kids right. stuff. Bob like, the yeah. Builder. And- Thomas? Why am I watching Thomas? Yeah. <laughs> like, I already seen that one. Like, I do love Thomas, and Day of the Diesels is a great one, but come on. <laughs> that Diesel 10 is a real jerk sometimes. And, and Cohen, like, they, they made, like, kids Netflix a couple years ago, and, like, yeah. he could set up his own account, but his historical infant viewing is still messed up my my yeah, recommendations it thinks that i used to really be into things like thomas and yo gabba gabba and i right. can't get i can't shake it i've logged yeah. into the website to yeah. remove it i can't i can't get rid of them you'd think yeah. that you'd be able to go in your history and to like delete some of no those. i've i have <laughs> you'd think and that's why i'm like i just gave up on netflix i'll watch kimmy schmidt wow. i'll watch uh yeah. aziz I have to yeah. basically set a boundary around myself. Like, unless there is a show that I know I'm going to watch. I know I set that boundary around you with Kevin. <laughs> right, right. But, like, unless there's yeah, that, a show. That, that was called a restraining order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The judge shut that down. It's right. I'll just, and it's 35 feet. Don't I'll, just text, I'll text Kevin now and make sure we're cool. I texted him at the beginning of the show to tell him I couldn't talk because I'd be recording. We'd talk all the time. Um, but, like, with Netflix, like, I won't let myself turn it on unless I know there's a thing I'm going to see. Because, like... What, do, you, do you... Because the risk is that you'll spend all your time there? Well, the reality of it is is that I have spent time there. Like, you know, it'll just be evening. Yeah. I'm just, like, you know, clicking endlessly through it. I'm like, eh, watch that. So now I try to, like, okay, whatever I'm... Cooked season two or something is about to come out. I'll watch that and then no more Netflix for a while. Because I just... I don't... I can't... I can't, I can't stop it. See, my problem is that I grew up and we didn't, for seven years, we didn't have a TV. And then all three of us kids pitched in and got this little 19 inch TV with a VCR and we rented a movie every Friday night and that was it. And so watching movies are still, it's still so exciting to me. It feels like this special little gift that I will go through. Like going to the Sizzler. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I've just wrapped up at Old Country Buffet, and now I spend two hours just deciding which movie I'm going to watch because I don't want to screw it up because I, I I don't have that concept yet that there's tons, and you can stop and pick another one. The video store is right here, Joy. I, I think I think the, the internet has like dramatically changed the way my attention span works because I, wa- I don't want something, most of the time, I don't want something that requires like full engagement. Like I want to be doing something on my phone or I want to be on my my computer doing something that I think that's why I do like, so I listen to so many podcasts because you can still have your eyes and your hands free. You know what I mean? You see, see, that's my problem is again with the whole childhood issue that I have is that if I'm watching something, the only other thing I can do is fold laundry. If I try to do emails, it's pointless because it's like, Nope, I gotta, I gotta pay attention to this dialogue. I can't, I gotta get my money's worth. She's just like transcribing the dialogue <laughs> yeah, in her exactly. emails at some point. You guys ever get weird emails from me that are uh, Gilmore <laughs> Girls? She's watching Sicario and trying to do emails. <laughs> I think I think Joy is trying to get me involved in a cocaine deal. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you have, Joy? Um, okay, well, so I know that we have a lot of Canadian listeners. And, I think all of them. Uh, I think what? I think all of them, all, all of the yeah. all the people in Canada that have the ability to listen to the internet, I think <laughs> listen to this show. Where the technology has reached, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. a royal mounted police. What are they, Mounties? 
They love us. He goes he, from he, town he to he town. He delivers the file. Yeah, yeah. He, he, with a little USB stick. Hey, here he goes, we go. <laughs> running for, like a town crier, town to town. Podcast here, podcast. Hey there, Rick. I'll By come back way, tonight and pick it up. are those not the most unintimidating <laughs> law enforcement uniforms on the planet? I mean, they are barely movable. They're on a horse. So even if you have a fairly low-geared bike, you could get away from it. Like, Or if just, you can just run sideways, like zigzag, yeah. to spook the horse. Seriously, so, you got a pellet gun. You're, well, either way, you can defeat a horse without even trying. Or the other, the other, the only more inefficient law enforcement uh, vehicle. I guess it counts. I guess a horse kind of is a vehicle. I don't know what to call kind it. Mode of transportation yeah. for law enforcement. Mode of conveyance. The, yeah, mode of conveyance is either a Segway or those three wheeled Segways things. Yeah. Like in, in the in like the the area of town here, like the bar district, they're always like going up and down the street. And it's like if I want to evade you, I can either go up or down a curb. Neither of which <laughs> your Segway. Right. Like I can literally just walk up on the curb and say, "Arrest me." I surrender. Oh wait a minute! You gotta. You're not gonna get off the subway because I know for a fact, and you know for a fact that one of these jokers watching what's happening is gonna get on and start riding and laughing. And because it happens here every Saturday night. I'm on the curb. Just leave me alone. Drive away. And if someone is acting dumb in the middle of the street, and you can catch them, even if they're going like eight miles an hour, slower than than a a, a quick stroll, then good luck. It's a ter- they, Like the police department, they just wanted segways. They are totally inefficient for stopping. Street crime. All right, is I'm it, time, is it time for my slice? We'll move on no, to my slice. Joy, Joy's no, I, I want you guys to know what I do. What I do is I say my opening line, and then I start an episode on Netflix, transcribe six <laughs> emails of dialogue, wait for you to finish. Joy, and now Joy you mentioned okay. Canada, so you teed that one up. You know, <laughs> it's going to go into a segue. I know. <laughs> you, knew that was, you knew that was where it was going to lead. I'm always here to set you up. Okay, so. Or, you know what the other way? It's an ankle deep puddle. Yeah. It'll well, short that thing out. <laughs> Or come and ask me. Come and ask me. I dare you. I dare you. That is not one of those off-road segues. All you got to do is push them. If you just touch them, they start to roll backwards. That's assault. That's assault. You're talking about assaulting off. That's a big deal. Oh yeah. Standing in the middle of a public street that happens to be elevated four inches above the 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 street level. Yeah. It shuts down. I still think I'd rather have a horse to a to a segue though. I feel like just in terms of respect. I don't yeah. yeah, respect, but a horse is a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But like I if I wreck the Segway, if I wreck the Segway, I'm going back to the police department. It got away from me, guys. I don't you think know? you can if wreck I a horse. The police department say, hey, the horse got away from me, guys. That's a big deal. Right. <laughs> you got a whole horse roaming the streets right now. Listen, I don't know what happened. I went in to use the bathroom. I was literally 90 seconds. 90 <laughs> seconds. I mean, it's the fastest horse alive. I mean, yeah. somebody yeah, was walking by with an apple, and that next thing you know, the horse is just walking away. Wild horse roaming the streets right now, and it's three o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to and do. And he's got a gun and a little badge on. Yeah, I meant to tell you, I left my gun holster a little hat. around his neck. Yeah. Uh, bring it to the restroom. There's a horse with a loaded gun walking around. <laughs> right. And a little police. Right, right, it's his I tried to tell people, buy the segways for this department. He's got a little. He's got a little. He's got a little a policeman hat on. Why, why are we enforcing the law the same way they did 400 years ago? Or let's go. This is what the make Romans America do. great again. Yeah, let's go back to my chart: horse versus Segway. At the very least, the battery would be dead right now. I don't know if the horse is dead. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Horses, horses can figure it out. They're gonna go find food. That guy's gonna keep going. I don't know if it's just Portland and maybe because we're close to Canada, but at the Portland airport, we have. Uh, our police are on mountain bikes, so this huge tread, but yeah. then it's carp- the floor is carpeted. Yeah. So, like, they ride by you, and it's just this, like, low, like, 
<laughs> do people make fun of them like, hey, cool indoor bike guy, and just put their head down and keep <laughs> like, Dude, seriously, a bike in an airport? Come on now. Yeah. I do. Well, what I make fun of is the fact that not only are they on bikes on carpet, but they set it on the gear where their <laughs> their feet have to pedal super fast. It's like they're going uphill. So they're, they're moving so slow, but they're just really moving. Right. Amazing. Hey, Deputy how's a Tour de France going? <laughs> and then just walk away really quick. Yeah. <laughs> you you come alongside like they do on the tour and put your hand on his back and just help him move along. Can I can I be honest here? I know I know it it sounds goofy, but I've honestly thought about this. Like if <laughs> if you're looking for a way to more effectively patrol, it could be an indoor area, <laughs> it could be an outdoor area. Yeah. Okay, and you're in law enforcement. Yeah. That that it, because the things are speed and agility, right? You got to yeah. catch the bad guys. You got to be faster than them, yeah. and you got to be yeah. more agile. Yeah. Right? I know exactly where you're going. And that's the problem with segways and bikes. They they, they are are and they horses. Can't, you know, if I run down a narrow alley, you're not going to yeah. ride your mountain bike down. Yeah. Exactly you know what I mean? Going. Yeah. Rollerblades, right. guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm dead serious. Like, there's no criminal that would escape a guy on if he was good. If he's good, yeah, you got to be good. You go to curves. <laughs> you can go through water. Skate, skateboard too, because then he could do that nice move where he like runs and jumps off and grabs his skateboard and then he pulls out his gun. He's like, "You're under arrest." Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. That's a little flashy. That's yeah. a little but flashy. Hey, but know. the rollerblades. Yeah. And, and you don't have to worry about abandoning the vehicle or whatever. And someone, they're strapped to your feet. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But think, like for speed, I agree with the rollerblade thing. But now they're at the point of arrest. And the he's trying to stabilize himself and put handcuffs on this person. And then his legs just start going like, you know. Right. No, well, no, right. no. Like guy with, <laughs> what about just smaller horses? One that could easily go inside of a door. Like a Shetland a pony. Yeah, Shetlands. <laughs> yeah, something that could hold an average size, you know, 200 pounds solid yeah. police <laughs> officer. And you just, you can take it anywhere. Inside, outside, and if you lose it, they can't be that expensive. You got to buy them in bulk, and you just go grab another one from the I car. Think, I think they sell one on Amazon Prime. I saw a commercial yeah, about that. You can get a Shetland pony, no problem, easy. I hope one of our Canadian listeners is transcribing this list because I think they need to submit it to the authorities. It's we yeah, they're listening. Of- they're listening to the podcast while doing emails, and they're subconsciously transcribing <laughs> all of these ideas. Yeah, yeah. all of which are more effective than a gigantic horse yeah. that you got to <laughs> keep feeding all the time. You know. Okay. All right, yeah. we got to get back to my slice. I don't yeah, even remember is, what my slice is about. You got to find a feed trough halfway through. <laughs> the right. That's the problem. Where are you going to find hay in the middle of the bar district that you're going up and down? Like, how much hay? Hey, hey listen, I heard things are getting uh, rowdy at old Kogan's down there. Uh, I just need to get this guy some hay real quick. Anyway, is there? Can can you? Hey. Is there a trough? I'm just, there's a trough around back, right? I need to break up a fight. Yeah. But first, this guy's getting super hungry. All right, what's your slice, Troy? Are, are you sure? Do you guys have it all out of your system? Depends on what you say next. <laughs> I know, seriously, I'm so, so scared. Just start talking and we'll see where I'm it goes. I'm so scared. Okay, so my, my first line, now just hold it in. My first line was that we have a lot of Canadian listeners. That Sec- reminds me of something. Se- <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, push through, Joy, push through. Second of all, um, we have a lot of people who are searching for love. And obviously with the work that I did with Love and Respect Now, I care about people's relationships. I want to help. And third, this is relevant and we're in the middle of a political season. And so this article felt like it was something that uh, is going to have something for everyone. Basically, if you are an American and you are looking for love, and this happens in every political uh, campaign, is there's people who get really dramatic and they say, I'm going to leave the country if so-and-so gets elected. And so this is the sentiments of some of the people in America right now, and they're wanting to possibly head to Canada. But as we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think on the podcast of what does it take to become a Canadian citizen? I think I was talking to a friend who, 
Yeah, I was talking to a horse and said, how do I you live You have to here? arrive in the country on horseback and you're in. Yeah. Yeah, you get across the border extremely slowly. It's just... <laughs> clump, 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 it, you clump. know, the, the entrance to Canada, the border there, is just a giant corral gate. Yeah. They just welcome in horsemen. Yeah, it actually... It looks like the beginning of the Derby. So you go in, you know, and you're in your little stall... <laughs> then they play the uh, Canadian they National your Anthem. And you just sprint away on the horse. Yeah, they play O Canada on a trumpet, <laughs> open it up, and you run in. Enjoy okay. Canada. No, but see, here's the, here's the thing. I would assume, I just, you know, the reputation is that all Canadians are really nice and welcoming and, hey, yeah, you know, okay. Um, come on and in. So, no problem. But, no, come on in. Come yeah, on in. Have a time yeah. here. Oh, excuse me. Um, so anyways, I assumed it was easy. And I was talking to my friend who her boyfriend's stepdad is Canadian. She was saying, we want to live in Canada. And I go, well, why can't you go live with him? And she's like, unless he adopts my adult you know, boyfriend, and then we get married. We can't live in Canada. Now, some of the Can Canadian listeners can tell me if this is wrong. But I heard it's really, really hard to become a citizen. However, there is a new opportunity to find love and to move to Canada through a new dating site called Maple Match. Uh, <laughs> is that real? Yeah, is that, is real allegedly, allegedly, and it's this thing that they're basically now, the, the downfall is that they've presented this to Americans who want to move to Canada. The downfall is that they already have 10,000 Americans signed up on their site. However, they only have 2,500 Canadians. So uh, all the Canadian listeners out there, I'm telling you, sign up for this. And you might be able to find love with an American. I'm, I'm checking real quick. MapleMatch.com. Make dating great again, it says. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Make, Maple Match makes it easy for Americans to find the ideal Canadian partner to save them from the unfathomable horror of a Trump presidency. No. Wow. Want to learn more? Get me on the wait list. I think but it's a joke. here's the thing. I think anybody, I think could, it doesn't matter, you it's know, like if you're just trying to get to Canada. For a joke. It's just a, It's just a landing page that they probably oh, made okay. from Squarespace. <laughs> and uh, there's a click to get me on the wait list. It's just an email list. I, I, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. You should click it and see where it goes. No, I bet it's, that's a there's a, there's a, the executive is named Joe, Joe Goldman. And he's talked I, to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation about it and said that there's 10,000. Uh, it's, it's, it's a waiting list. There's a waiting list to be on it. So maybe it exploded much more than they actually thought can it I, would. Can I ask a real honest question here? Yeah. Channing, can we sign you up for this right now? Let's do it. <laughs> okay, we'll get Channing signed up for Maple Match. And then you give yeah, us a play like that. Just as a test, and let's see if you get a date over the border. Because yeah. we have a lot of Canadian listeners. Do you know but if, with he, a horse? if he tries to produce the show from over <laughs> the border, we're going to have yeah. all types of technical problems. Yeah. Um, all right, what do you have, Eddie? Oh, man. This is a pretty serious slice coming out of this. Um, <laughs> on my favorite website, uh, Relevant, I read, a, uh, read an interesting story this week, and I usually don't bring slices that were... You know, already on our site, but I thought you were going to say Catholic Link. <laughs> no, but I found this. <laughs> I read this great listicle on Catholic Link. <laughs> you wouldn't believe who commented yeah. under it. I found this study so fascinating. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn commented yeah. under it. Yeah. Vince is a big fan. Um, I found this study so fascinating that I uh, really, I just was curious um, what you all thought about it. So. The study was put out by LifeWay Research, and they asked a thousand pastors, um, Protestant pastors, across uh, different denominations. They did like a telephone interview with them, and they said, um, "What would happen if a pastor has an extramarital affair? Like, what do you believe?" Like physically, what would happen? That's not. A mm -mm, no, I think they understand generally <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. what it means. This is a birds and bees conversation. LifeWay is just saying, like, "Hey, help us why understand this." Why was LifeWay asking about this? <laughs> <Yeah. Did they laughs> <not know? laughs> 
Why did Lifeway sound like a 12-year-old boy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, hi, I'm calling from Lifeway. Like, what is, like, um... What is an affair? Like, what is, like, um... Tell me more about, like, uh, what girls. Uh, you ever some research, so what? Are you, like, Explain? a... Have you ever, like, met a girl, or what? Um, anyway, cool, thanks. Any way to joke about this topic. <laughs> yeah, really? How did... I mean, this is a really serious... Eddie, when, when you when you texted me the slicer, I'm like, oh, you know, it might be good to have a, a serious one to, you know, kind of yeah. end. And, and now you're just taking it. The, well, now yeah. we're back on horse. Uh, yeah, something to counterbalance Canada. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so when surveyed, 24% of the pastors said they would support a permanent withdrawal from public ministry if a pastor has an affair. So 24% say, that's it, you're done. One out of four. Permanent. Dennis, yeah. Which is, right. Um, <laughs> 31% said they should step down for a period of 90 days to a year. 90 days? And a vast majority, eight, right, 90, 90 days. days. Yeah. That seems yeah. like we just got started. They just went on yeah. a cruise and came back. Right. That's yeah. it. It's 90 days. They only got through they one barely got season through West Wing. Yeah. yeah, that's a, I know. <laughs> that's what actually was really shocking. So 86% believed that congregations should be informed um, if their pastors receive church discipline for misconduct, though very few of the pastors, 13%, said that initial allegations should be told to the congregants. So, this Hey, former pastor, what do you think about that? I mean, well, first of all, I think... I, 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 I guess it's just my opinion, but full disclosure, I think you tell the congregation in a way, and it's hard to figure out how to word. Wait, 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 you tell them the allegations, or do you yeah. tell them that when it's been? Oh, you know, when it's at an allegation stage, I think you don't. I, but I think okay. that, like when when action has been taken, discipline yeah. has occurred, yeah. you've had to step down. Somebody uh, tells with absolute transparency yeah. what what happened. I, I am a big fan of trying really hard not to put any PR on a yeah. situation like this. Right. Like yeah. we're going to tell you every fact that we know is a fact the moment we know it's a fact. Right. And we're going to let the chips fall because ultimately it's we. Like we're in this together yeah. and we've got to tell you this. I do think that it is very very important to determine what is fact, what is honoring to a family. I mean, there's a lot. It's very it's complex. Kids and, it's, it's exactly yeah. right. Well, well, Eddie, as a as a former pastor, mm -hmm. the, the the big number that I thought was the most interesting. I mean, all of it. I feel like the, the stats in general are interesting, but a quarter saying it it should lead to permanent withdrawal from professional ministry. I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, it's an. I think that is an asinine response because, first of all, anecdotally, I what, have, they, what, sorry, just to clarify, sorry. an asinine response is permanent withdrawal from the oh, ministry. Yeah, I think that is. I think it is graceless and irresponsible, and I think it is minimizing of the work that God can do in the lives of the multiple families that have been destroyed, and um, like truthfully, like I have spoken to. Well, okay. We went through this as a church, and we dealt with it really personally. And in that process, many, many pastors reached out to us and said, hey, 25 years ago, I, was, I did this. I had an affair. It was awful. And the stories were all different, how, how they emerged from it, how they moved forward. But in all of them, it, it was a real change in their life, and it was it – was, it would have been unfair to just say you are now excluded forever from ministry. Right. Now, a lot of times I think that some people have, I mean, all this is too common 
there's so much evidence in both directions. It's ridiculous that we even have a study that, of course, people would have an opinion on because you just hear of pastors falling all the time. But I I do think there are a lot of pastors who re-enter ministry way too quickly because it's it's a drug. It's all they know. They got to get back in a pulpit, and so they I don't know. I, I don't well, fake well, here, restoration. I think. My my concern is, like you said, they they get have to get back in the pulpit, and I also feel like I observe, like I think there is something really beautiful to um, a pastor coming under the authority of the church body and the elders, and mm-hmm. and taking that time to grow and possibly re-enter into um, ministry. But what I feel like I see happen is they take some time off. They remove. I'm always red flag, red flag when they remove themselves from the authority that they were caught under, um, and go and get under the author uh, the authority of another church. Right. That's always to me so scary, you right. know. And I think we something happened in our church, and there was this beautiful moment where one of the elders. This is several years ago. One of the elders was brought up in front of our church, and all of the pastors like spoke to him and told him what he did was wrong and why it was wrong. And then as a church body, we all prayed for him and his family. Mm. So I agree with you. It can be so beautiful, but when they flee or when they go away or just go into the dark, that, that scares me. The the yeah. other measure of this is, and a lot of times this doesn't have to do as much with the pastor is the the church that's walking through this. And one of the questions I always ask is, well, what is your church doing for the person who the affair was with? the other person, because so often they are just shunned, pushed away quietly. They move. You never hear from that person again. Restoration is just as important with them. And if we're not pursuing restoring that relationship as well, if they were a part of the church community, well, then really what we're doing is we're just propping up and trying to get our our stability, our pastor, our celebrity back. Yeah. Whole restoration is really hard and really messy. And I don't know that I've seen it done well a lot, but... um, but to put a blanket like no, now they never go back to the pulpit. Do you think there are things that are disqualifiers for ministry? Maybe you don't have to answer that if it's too difficult of a you know. But I'm just saying like I feel like the people who answered in that way, just trying to get into their head, probably have drawn some sort of hard line where they say this is you know. I would say this- active, unrepentant, yeah, unresolved yeah. sin. But I, I don't. <clears throat> I mean. There, what what sinful behavior in your past, if you reconcile that with God, should preclude you from... Yeah. I mean, it doesn't preclude you from the gates of heaven. Why would it preclude yeah. you from being in a pulpit? I think we're... I in think we time, hold a, with the right healing yeah. and accountability and transparency. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, my, my issue is just the institution. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, puts this one guy in the spotlight... And then, like, it, the whole machine breaks down if we don't protect that. And so they, you know, they just, like, whether it's a good timing or really healthy or whatever, they try to just get things back to normal, you know, right. like, just mm-hmm. kind of push things back to normal. Yeah. Like, I I, I I, completely agree with you, but I think, like, man, if that, if like, what, how many years of this guy's life led to that act happening yeah. or that moment? How long did it go on? How many years will it take to be fully healed, to deal with root causes, to be a place of healing where he can then, then God can use that brokenness, giving him an empathy and an understanding and a, and a, 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 of grace and mercy and things. I mean, like the ministry on the other side of that season yeah. could be so powerful yeah. through that, how God can use that, per, yeah. that pastor. Yeah. But, but I mean, rushing the process doesn't yeah. do anybody any good. 
Well, and the wisdom that it takes, I think very few churches would possess. Like the wisdom to have a conversation, multiple, multiple conversations about what did you learn? Why did this happen? Where does it start? Because so often you hear, oh, well, you know, we're just our marriage is going hard. It was bad for a year. And I, you know, I met this person and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, no, it was not a one no, year. It, yeah. it started it when you had it. no idea who you were when you were a kid. Like yeah. affairs start way before you ever even met your wife or your husband. You know, it's so unless they have that kind of realization, then it's just the recipe hasn't really been figured out. It, yeah. You know, it seems like people who want to get back in the public, it feels like some, if someone's really gone through this huge situation in their life and they really have come to a place of repentance and healing, mm-hmm. I would almost think that they would not want to get back into the place of that level of leadership and authority because of the way scripture talks about the responsibility of teacher and leader, that it almost feels like they would, if, if true restoration had happened, that there would be some level of humility of going, I, the Lord can use me, they can use this yeah. story, but in terms of leading an entire congregation that might not be my journey right now. To me, I would really admire that. I always question I who, who, after you've done all of this, who actually would want to return to the pulpit? That's yeah. what, yeah, that's what, like a genuine change. I was going to say the, yeah. the other thing I feel like it, like it calls into a lot of questions about the whole concept of like professional ministry, someone who oh, yeah. does it as, because really, you know, we, we all, to some degree, we're part of the priesthood of believers. You know, mm-hmm. like if I was banned from doing it professionally for some moral indiscretion, it doesn't absolve me of my responsibility to minister to others. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like, it makes such an interesting distinction about the professional line of ministry and my basic responsibility as someone who is within the body of Christ. Like nothing's going to absolve me of that because if it does, that means, you know, then I don't fully believe in God's grace and redeeming power, you know? Yeah, that's the, there's a huge underlying problem is that it really is professional, it is the setup that we have right now for a pastor. Yeah. Even right in the first place. It's like, it's like the, the system we've created you know, you're going down the hill. You're just going down the hill, and you're looking at at the path. Right. And it's like it's okay for <laughs> it's okay for one. It's okay for one pastor. This pad gonna kill. But oh, the two or the three, will it sustain? Will it sustain? And I'm saying I don't know if I'll make it to the cookout. Yeah, I gotta go get a burger. That's what I'm saying. Oh jeez. Congratulations, yeah. everyone. You've really done something. <laughs> you certainly have graduated from Liberty today. <laughs> A school that I have, uh, I've walked around these past tw- twelve hours. So, um, <laughs> I've been uh, really appreciating it. Uh, I'm gonna be honest; I'm not entirely sure why I'm here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I want to thank uh, old Superman Mel. Uh, don't know what that's about. Uh, I was wedged between two pads for about eleven and a half hours and put on a suit and came here. Who are you people? Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Look forward to. Being more part of your grade school in the future. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. It's all happening. Kevin Max. He traded his guns for love, but he's caught on the crossfire. And he keeps waking up, but it's not to the sound of birds. According to Pew Research, no affiliation is the fastest growing designation among people polled. In his book, The Resurgent Church, author Mike McDaniel says, if we look beyond the unsettling trends, 
we begin to see something encouraging. Churches reinventing themselves and finding ways to reach the unchurched. Based on a five-year examination of reinvented churches, Mike McDaniel has discovered seven critical pathways to help churches thrive in today's post-Christian world. A guidebook of principles to help church leaders reach our modern culture. The Resurgent Church, available wherever books are sold. Every child, every brother, let's call it in the crossfire. Let's call it in the crossfire. You're listening to Stephen. The song is Crossfire. Stephen with you a get caught up in the crossfire. That one? Yeah. It's, it was inspired by the 1980s kids game and ensuing commercial campaign. Stephen, how do you come up with that name? Just uh, uh, oddly, his God, name, his, his 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 birth name is Lady Gaga. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just Stephen. Yeah. All right. So what what I'll do is normally I would read a little bio, a little intro for each thing that's about to happen. But because Kevin Max is going to join us to perform songs from his new album, and there's gonna be another segment of a conversation, I'm just gonna give the Kevin Max bio now. Yeah, that's smart. Okay. And then we just move, and then we just listen. From 1988 to 2000, Kevin Max was the voice behind the band DC Talk, and uh, massive songs like Jesus Freak and Just Between You and Me. DC Talk, if you didn't know, they quickly became the biggest selling CCM act in history. CCM means contemporary Christian music. Yeah. Again, they have I'm educating a generation here because there's a lot of people who didn't know they, you know, how big DC Is Talk was. Is that still a magazine? Uh, uh, no, nah, it's like a website or something. Oh, okay. But they don't even call it contemporary Christian music. They found like new things to Christ and culture and music. It's, it's really? exactly like it that. It is not. No. It's, it's almost exactly that. Community is in it. Oh yeah, Christ and community and music. Wow. Coffee, <laughs> banjos. <laughs> that's that's pretty that, accurate. That's every church. Yeah. selling. Uh, we just do things different. We're about community. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, well, they we really want to have authentic relationships. <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, going to be known. It's not like we're just going to get into the word. We yeah, know. it's it's like look, I don't know, I don't know. We we don't we don't play by rules. Our pastor sits on a stool. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like what's the big? Deal? And every every week he just wrestles with the tension. That's it. He just yeah. wrestles with the and tension. And the church is just not. It's not. It's 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 not. The it's, backup singer in our worship band wears a big cool floppy hat thing. Yeah. So. It's not yeah, a place. It's the people. We know what's happening here. Yeah. Among mm. our whole worship band, there are seven tattoos. Yeah. Seven. And we're just going to get our hands and feet dirty. Like we're in the community. We're changing our city, you guys. Uh, we don't. We don't pass an offering plate. There's just a joy box in the back. Yeah. You don't even have to give offering. You know, if you miss sermon, download the app. It's cool. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, we we got it. We got a college kid designed it for us. So. <laughs> app is the same. Not sure if you've heard of our font. It's called Helvetica, and it's great. <laughs> uh, uh, so accurate. DC Talk won four <laughs> Grammy Awards that and was, sold millions of albums worldwide. That was just like my dad just letting me and my brother fight it out, knowing uh, they'll come back eventually. They'll two, figure it out. In 2001, it's like the runaway horse with the little police officers. Eventually, they'll come home. He's Even- got my gun, eh? <laughs> In 2001, uh, Kevin made his first solo album, which was called Stereotype B. Uh, He did that with uh, producer Adrian Ballou, who did like David Bowie and Talking Heads. I know. It was on EMI Records (laughs) and uh, continued. And then he uh, continued to make a a string of uh, solo albums until 2012, when he joined Audio Adrenaline as a lead singer. 
Um, The album Kings and Queens became the top-selling album of Audio Adrenaline's career with the hit single of the same name. After two years with that band, Kevin left to pursue his solo career once again. Uh, What you're about to hear are two songs from his upcoming solo album, which will be coming out on iTunes in June, but is currently streaming right now on The Drop at RelevantMagazine.com if you want to go check it out. Uh, Kevin also is doing a Pledge Music campaign to support the album and you can get some really cool experiences and stuff. He'll talk about that in the interview. Yeah, so, um, some very Kevin Maxian experiences. He just, he joined us in the studio. He sat down at, a, at our old rickety piano and had at it. Here is Kevin Max. Kevin Max, stay tuned for the Eddie Coffold interview.
You're listening to Night Moves. The song is Carl Sagan. Hey guys, I don't like to talk about it much, but like I was just really blessed because some of the Night Moves guys are going to our church now. It's just been cool to minister to them. So. Just doing community. Yeah. Um, <laughs> love them. Carl, well, Sagan, Carl Sagan is a friend too. There is no, there is no bigger DC Talk fan that I know of That's than Big Cat Eddie Koffold. Yeah, and uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for for the last couple of years, you know that is <laughs> like literally within the first couple of weeks. Yeah, Dave Matthews Band and DC Talk and Cats. That was the really? those are the it's the Mount Rushmore. Dave Matthews Band. I really hit my platforms early. This right. is what I'm going to talk about <laughs> to engage the millennials. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is a guy who besmirches Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> besmirches. That's your favorite word. <laughs> That's a good usage. Yeah, and uh, on the uh, little Facebook thing for the Friday night dinner uh, and I and I posted to the friends. I said, "Hey, by the way, after dinner we're going to sing karaoke and yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin's down. He wants, you know, he'll do some DC talk stuff if you want, but he, he's down to do like 80s yeah, stuff or yeah. whatever. Eddie then replied to that post and said, uh, what about Dave Matthews band? Kevin <laughs> Max replied to that post and said, absolutely not. Yeah. Oh, no. To which I replied, terms accepted. Terms accepted. <laughs> <laughs> when you say, when you talk about your affection for Dave Matthews, you're not joking. Like, you really like Dave Matthews fans. Yeah, I'm never joking about any of this. Have you guys Have you guys been to a Dave Matthews concert? Yeah, maybe. I would go on a cruise for a Dave Matthews concert. Dude, I, They're I, really I good. A, I was a huge fan of their drummer growing up. So yeah. Like I have Car- a very, Carter Buford, very, right? Yeah, Carter Beaufort, yeah. I would jump overboard on a Dave Matthews concert <laughs> before we even left court. <laughs> right, you would never, you would walk on and it would just be like, dun, dun, dun. You're like I'm, out. <laughs> I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. So, there, there is no bigger DC Talk fan that I know than yeah. Mr. Big Cat Eddie Koffeltz. Yeah. And um, when I, when the, when the 2017 post occurred on the DC Talk official homepage yeah. or Facebook page, there was, yeah, when I looked, uh, I, I glanced, there was about 400 comments at the time. No exaggeration, 200 of them directly <laughs> name-linked Eddie Koffeltz. Yeah. It was an explosion that I've never, like social media, yeah. that I've never experienced. Yeah. So uh, it was a big deal uh, for Kevin to to uh, graciously come down here and sit down for an interview. The interview is, is it was really extensive because when you do like print pieces, uh, you typically don't do a little 10-minute interview. Yeah. You spend time, really find the story. The story kind of finds you. It kind of reveals itself. Yeah. And that's why the interview is so long. You talked to him about three things. What just happened, DC Talk, the reunion, the cruise. Cruisegate. Cruisegate 2017. <laughs> That's where we start. Right. We, then, gotta, we just got to get gotta get the, it's the elephant in the room, right? Then you talked to him about his new album, right. him as a solo artist, mm-hmm. what's different now than 10 years ago. Yeah, that was act two. And then you you close it by, by you know, kind of finding more history. Now, this is maybe more for what will appear in the print uh, piece. Yeah, we we did a coming. bit of a free skate. Yeah. And then... Your very last, very last question. Everything's done. Jesse, you weren't there. I'll tell you what just happened. We're sitting here. It's been two and a half hours. We're all, we're all exhausted. I'm uh, not. I'm not. I'm feeling good. You're excited. And, uh, and just things kidding. are wrapping up. I, get, I gave Eddie the little, let's wrap it up. He's yeah. had a long day. Yeah. And uh, Eddie kind of wraps it up. It comes to a nice conclusion. And then he goes, okay, last question. 
How would I do? Yeah. When did that how was how was this? How was this for you? And like, and they, they end up talking another fifteen minutes about how, how great Eddie did interviewing him. It, it, it was like the Mark Maron ending. How cool he played it, you know? Like, I, I was re- I did a really good job, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel did like you, well, did you have like a feedback form on a scale of one to ten? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is such a sweet man. I'm actually really excited people get to hear this interview because he is just a really good dude with a great perspective, and it was he's it, changed a lot in the last fifteen years too. He's like an adult with children and a life and a musician. And it yeah. was he's like three-dimensional. And so it was fun to get off the fanboyness for a little bit and yeah. just have a really interesting conversation. I'm glad we get to hear this together. Here is Eddie Koffold's interview with Kevin Max. Well, I am sitting here with Mr. Kevin Max. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm... <laughs> what kind of question is that? So just give it all to me. I'm going to give... Every bit of me right now to you. First question, um, have you ever been on a cruise? <laughs> I have. I had a great time. I can see, see where this is going, oh, which, which, I, which, 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 which I love. <laughs> You're already very um, patient. I am, I'm ready for this. Okay. Um, All right. So let's talk about the Jesus Free Cruise. Because uh, I think this is really interesting. I was, I mean, I think, well, I think I was surprised because I had assumed we would see the reunion on land, but I am happy that it's on a boat. And I think it's going to be an interesting cruise. Like what, tell me about this. Tell me what the week is going to be like. Tell me what your hope and the vibe is. Well, I mean, obviously this has been a long time coming. What's it been 16 years or something. Um, So there's a, there was a lot of conjecture from a lot of different people on how this should be kicked off. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that um, I was, I was told about it a couple of months ago. So it wasn't, you know my uh, my my genius uh, marketing plan, so I can't you know call it mine. But I, it was somebody else's. And when I heard the news, I was like, you know what? This this is great. We're going to be able to do something cool, and um, it's going to be unique, yep. and it's going to be something where we can actually um, set the tone, set the mood, and really be more of an intimate thing where everybody's just kind of in mm. one place, mm. and. Um, it made a lot of sense to me when they when they they told me about it. Um, now, so, did you view it as a reunion or as a like, hey, let's do something fun with my friends here? Like, the, you know, we haven't sung together in sixteen years. Did you think it was like a a full blown we're getting the band together, or was it like a one off cruise and a fun experience? I mean, no, I I, I didn't look at it as like this is going to be the end all be all um, amalgamation of of mm-hmm. all of our you know dreams. Yeah, and uh, we're going to. Make, make this happen and put a bow on it and then walk off like yeah. Butch Cassidy into the uh, <laughs> into right. the, the silver screen I, I I look at it like a starting point but I I know everybody is different there's three yeah. different guys in this band everybody um, has a different schedule yeah. everybody has a different career Toby and I have multiple kids it really is a difficult scenario to get everybody on the same you know, time scheme and mm. and make things happen. I mean, I think that it's been th- talked about many, many times. Obviously, in the past, my my gut reaction to it is I knew what people were were saying when when it came out, and I kind of had an inkling of that. That's what was going to be the general response. Really, it was a little bit more negative than what I thought it was going to be. But but I could understand where there's a lot of people that feel like they're left out or they've they've missed the boat. For <laughs> me, um, I'm kind of like. I, I have a lot of hope for more than this. And I think it should be uh, th- thought about a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, if you're looking at it 
from from my perspective and the band's perspective, yeah. it's kind of like an off the hip, like let's do something cool. Great. It's not like this hasn't been masterminded and and like we're going, you know. I think in all respect to what we did in the past, yeah. I'd like to see more than just this. It's hard because I feel like people dig for more because when you go back and listen to, I mean, the last album you did, Supernatural, it's a good body of work. It's not nostalgia. It's not, oh, I liked them when I was in youth group. Like, Supernatural is a great album. And I think there's always that sense of it's like Seinfeld ending on top. Like, you guys just stopped. And then there was, you know, a couple of releases of greatest hits and that was it. And so I think there's always this longing of like, what would happen if you actually started making music together again? Do you feel that if the three of you were in a studio again, do you think it, do you think it would happen? As an artist, like I've seen other bands do do it like that. And I'm always intrigued by the mystery of that. Like the the police did that. One of my favorite bands of the eighties, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, they, they did synchronicity and literally <laughs> walked away. Right. And that title's hilarious. When, right, when, you right, know, the yeah, disbanding, yeah. And, and it's kind of like, that's the whole album mm. was one of their finest works. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of mystery in that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, it was cool to see them get back together. It was a little bit of a downer to not hear new music. Yeah. Have you felt about, you, you alluded to it, that you kind of had a sense that, okay, when, when the, the reunion show is announced that it's gonna be on a cruise ship, that the feedback you know, maybe mixed. It's been pretty strong. It's been like kind of crazy to watch, actually. How how have you, how does that affect you? And how have you felt about that? Well, as a very confrontational person, um, and <laughs> Are uh, you? I'm pretty confrontational. I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm very Irish. So it's like, <laughs> I find the humor and everything. And I also find uh, the passion and the anger and everything. Yeah. And, um, I, I loved it all. Like I sat back and I was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Like I'd go from, I'd go from page to page going, yeah. could, could this get any better? Yeah. And I think, I mean, what better way to launch something than on a blanket of drama? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm really, truly, that's- You, you believe you that, can't, I love it. Yeah, I do. You can't get anything better than that. I mean, it's like, it's like if everybody's like, oh, great. Then it's just kind of like it's it's over with, but if it's like talked about, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't bummed. I was like, good for my fan, good for my fans, good for, good for my listeners, yeah. good for the people that have backed DC Talk and supported that they care this much. Mm-hmm. The fact that they cared that much really yeah. spoke to me. If it would have been just like, oh, cool. I think this was like failed expectations on their part. That's not that's not yours to own. But people, I think, had this vision of you're going back and you're doing the arena tour and you're doing the thing and you're jumping off, you know, monitors and stuff like that. And um, and it's We're like getting it, older. Right? Some still... of us are getting heavier. It's like, a... <laughs> but there's like, it's you're still together. You're still singing on stage for the first time in you know formally in 16 years. You've done little things along the way, but yep. like there's still real um, excitement to what's happening. Do you remember um, like? If you don't remember like the first second you sang together, do you remember like one of the early moments where it kind of clicked like, oh, this isn't just this. I'm not just singing with somebody else. Like this is, there's something in this. There's something meeting in the middle in the ether of our voices. We sang, and I'm trying to remember the exact context, but Michael and I went into one of these, and honestly, I think it was like an amusement park somewhere. We went in to do one of those karaoke things where Mm -hmm. you record 
your voice on a track. Mm. And um, we, no sang, way. we sang like Lean On Me. Oh. And this was early, early on with DC Talk, and I just remember us going, wow, that turned out really, that, that sounds really good. Yeah. I think the first time we actually ever did anything together was definitely at Liberty University, would have been on campus. Um, Toby was, you know, writing uh, these, these hip hop songs, and Michael was just kind of singing the choruses. Yeah. And when they asked me to come in, it was like I was singing in a different band at the time. We were in a rock band. <laughs> and it was Good quote fingers. I don't even know what <laughs> and that and meant. It, it, it was called Connection. You know, it's oh, with like, a K or a C? It was a C. Oh, thank but God. It, but it was like, it should have been Rainbow Connection. Right? That, would have been, that would have been killer. But right. it was Connection, and it was just the most horrible See, you know, rock band ever. Yeah. But um, I was known on campus as the guy, the guy that's in that rock band. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they kind of came up to me and said, hey, we've heard your voice singing, you were singing in another um, assembly or whatever, and we want you to sing on this album that we're making. And hmm. I, I was like, yeah. And he played me this stuff, and I'm like, are you sure you want me? You know, it's, it's a, right. It's a, it's a, you uh, couldn't I'm hear not, yourself. I'm not really it. sure. Like, yeah. it's, it was very R&B. And, yeah. and uh, so then we did it, and I can't remember what I sang on the first time. I wish I could. But obviously, like, after that, we started doing little shows around the campus, and before you knew it, like, everybody dug it and it just blew my mind I was like yeah. this is really working yeah. and it was the most bizarre thing to me I'm just like nobody's gonna like this yeah. you know and everybody ended up liking it and it, it speaks to um, I think I think all of us as performers I think Toby's you know really had a handle on what he wanted to do yeah. even that early on Let's rewind from all of the. <laughs> let's rewind from all the DC talk stuff, oh, and early, earlier. Yeah, how do you feel? I really do want to ask you this. How do you feel about talking about DC talk? Because it's like I've read so many blogs, and you're super cool about it. And people that are like huge DC talk fans, and they just it's ten questions about DC talk, and they're out. But how do you reconcile? Still, sixteen years out, this was like kind of you did this when you were a kid. How um, do you feel about talking about it? I mean, honestly, it's not. It's not a problem for me to talk about my past. I love it, but I we only made five records, right? I mean, so there's just a certain amount that you can cover in five records. And yeah. and I um but what's interesting about DC Talk is we have so many memories. Yeah. Like if I could write a book about all of our, you know, little adventures along the way. It, yeah. It's amazing the things that we've seen and the things that we've done. So it's still intriguing to me. It's intriguing. It was also a, a time period where things were really changing and the industry was changing. And in our small little area of the industry, I mean, we had a lot to do with moving it along yeah. and progressing. So um, it's still intriguing to me. That's why I don't mind talking about it. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of corners to still talk about yeah. because um, it's, it's, um, it was a very jam-packed uh, 10 or 12 years. Yeah. And I people have asked me, they want me to ask you about why the band ended and all that, but I actually don't want to talk about that because what what gets really interesting to me... Can then, we take callers? <laughs> we will. <laughs> North Dakota, you're on with Kevin Max. I love that kind of stuff. Um, the solo, your solo career, is when, to me, it starts to get 
very interesting because DC Talk has its place in the pantheon of music. You are saying a thing, but then Stereotype B comes out and you continue to move through this solo career. You're just being nice. No, no, I'm not. I'm actually not that nice. (laughs) People that know me know. Um, But like... You're you're a lion, I know. know. (laughs) What did you feel like you needed to say as you started writing music, not as part of a group? It's just, Kevin is saying something here to whatever, to to the world, to himself. What is it? I'm all about... uh, experimenting with music and I always have been. Mm-hmm. DC Talk kind of, you know, in a way put me a little in, in a box right. that I was very happy to be in right. because it was a great box. But when the box was kind of broken right. and we were able to like just right. jump out. You're not just singing the first and third verse and the high <laughs> yeah. harmony on the I mean, the, it, chorus. The, the formula is gone. Right. Um, Who's going to wrap the bridge now? I was almost like a, I was literally like a kid in a, at Christmas, just right. like going, you know, what present can I open? Yeah. You know, because I had all these ideas, and if anything is to be a fault of that record, it's just I had too many ideas. With this album, it was it was very misunderstood because people were like, is he trying to be a general market artist? And mm. I was just trying to have fun with creating. Yeah. I never saw any boundaries, and I still don't see any boundaries. So when I'm creating, I, there's no boundaries in my mind of, for radio or for alternative indie or, you know, pop or R&B or general. I just, I'm writing. So I tend to want to always do that because I think that's more true and pure than trying to come up with the hit. I don't know. I I like it to almost be like a, like a book where it's, it's got a lot of ideas, but there is a beginning and an ending. I'm never looking at <clears throat> fragmenting and going, I'm just going to write this big hit and then everything else is filler. Interesting. Um, um, I just, yeah. What What do you feel like you're, what's the current book about? What is, what is, what mattered enough to you that you felt like you had to record this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this album, I've told people this is my first album because it's, it's, yeah. um, I've written this 100% um, on, on the keyboard, um, you know, like the songs that I played in the podcast today. I mean, literally, that's how I started writing these songs. It, it, that simple. So it's always piano? It's always piano. I'm not a guitar player. Mm. All the songs were written by me from start to finish. And, and, and I, I told Cam- Cameron today, I didn't edit. There wasn't a whole lot of self-editing. It was mm. just kind of like, this is it, and I'm going to record it. Um, so... That almost feels like your life a little bit. And I don't want to draw a parallel that's not there. But yeah. it's almost just Scattered like, and spontaneous. No, but, no, no, yeah, no, but not as edited. Like, hey, I'm going to just be more confident and, and comfortable. And like, this is what's happening. Yep. Yep. I don't... I mean, to be in a power group like DC Talk, um, that was very formula. And it was, it was literally like a play. Where when we got on stage, everybody knew where they were standing. I mean, Toby used to call it organized chaos. Yeah. It's a lot more organized than chaos, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but that's show business. That's, right. I mean, and that's why those shows were so great. Mm-hmm. It's because there was formula to it. And yeah. we knew there was, a, there was an arc. Right. And, you know, even the projection behind us had a story it was telling. And yeah. it was timed. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. It's all click in your ear and stuff like that, or whatever. Yeah. Like it's. I mean, that's that's my Achilles heel. Is like I, I just don't. I I should think more like that when it comes to performing. 
I tend to roll up on stage in a rug and um, you know have a couple of players behind me, and that's how I play. I saw you do a solo show here in Orlando, and you did it was right around Christmas. You did Oh Holy Night, and then did some freeform verses on the end of it that were way outside of A Holy Night, which was awesome. <laughs> like it was just a lot of self-reflection. And then you left for a minute, and the guys kept playing, and you left. And I thought it was like an encore. You were like gone for like maybe five minutes, and you came out with a little star uh, tambourine. That's what you went backstage to get. You came out with the star tambourine. <laughs> I thought, this guy is making up his own rules right now. Is that what yeah. it's like when you... <laughs> That's kind of like my life. Yeah, you're right. I mean, my... I guess I'm a lot of fun to be with because of that, but it's um, it it's never boring. But again, it's not it's not show business. So with this album and the industry as it is, how do you how do you fund an album nowadays? Like, do you are you want to? Is it like still like the big label thing? I know there's been like crowdfunding and how does it work? Well, I wish I could fund like Dr. Gene Scott used to fund. Um, you know, when he'd get on camera and say everybody get on your phones <laughs> yeah yeah you know and right. um, <laughs> get on the phones right. <laughs> you know just have people sending me money would right. be incredible be nice. I think Dr. Gene Scott was the first example of somebody crowdfunding mm -hmm. in a way that was really interesting because uh, he used video and everything else yeah for me um, it's become the natural progression of my career it's like um, you know I've lived off of shows live shows and royalties mm -hmm. and kind of basically made my own albums. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I've uh, collaborated with record labels mm -hmm. and record, re record labels would give me a certain amount of money. Now we can make records and I'm getting ready to build my own studio mm. in a brand new location. Um, I've bought a farm um, outside of Franklin and Centerville mm -hmm. um, and it's got its own studio detached building and I'm making the studio happen. And what's intriguing about crowdfunding is you can go all the way with um, ideas and not be, you know, stuck on formula again. I mean, you can throw away all that and do what you want. And I love that about crowdfunding. What I didn't like about it was asking people for money. Yeah. So I try to come up with cool ways to do that. I've gotten over my shyness now. <laughs> now, now I'm like, hey, okay, that last one did really good. Uh, let's yeah. let's figure out ways we can get even more uh, people involved and supporting. So I think it's cool for the in independent artist, right? Um, because we can um, go all the way with it um, when it comes to dreaming and imagination. And if we have the crowd that gets it, y you can do a lot of really cool exclusives. So for me, right. crowdfunding through pledge campaign is more than just um, making a record. It's also merchandise. It's mm -hmm. also ideas t to connect, you know. Um, you know, we do a lot of Skyping and phone calls. Yeah. I also do uh, poetry um, where, you know, I'll handwrite new poems and send it to them or I'll, huh. I'll record poems. I mean, this next one, we're actually having people stay over at the farm and we, uh, we do like, we're gonna do some trail, some hiking, <laughs> some archery. Um, uh, the big thing right now is a roller skating pole barn. It's the big thing for me. Like I want to turn, I have a barn and then I have a pole barn. There's a barn that has, is made for horses really, but there's a pole barn that's just kind of like a, a separate structure, um, huh. looks like a big, huge shed, right? 
Huh. We're going to uh, put a roller, a roller skating rink in there and put a disco ball. And no bring it way. back to the 70s. And I, I think, you know, it's a... Uh, you have the most Kevin Maxius sounding house I've ever heard of. <laughs> it's, it's called Camp Maxerness. And, yeah, of and, course. And we're... Um, we're starting to brand right now, so is, we're is, starting <laughs> to brand. It's your home. I love that. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, but, but honestly, there is something to it that it's just like there. There is not a shyness from people that are fans of your music. I mean, there's like a there's a real connection there through through these crowdsourcing efforts and just through basically the way you live as a musician. It's not like you're trying to shy away from. It's not like you're just wanting to like sit in your little quiet studio and release this, and no one ever has access to you. It, I like the relationship you have with your fans. It in Orlando, like... you have so much branding going on that I, yes. I, I feel like I feel like my brand is is chaos and, and sponta- spontaneity. And you know, but yeah, I mean, my fa- my I hate to say fans. It's a it's a horrible word, really. But listeners or supporters, well, or whatever that, you call them, people fans. That enjoy your okay, music. Fans. People that resonate with your musicianship. They expect something um, bizarre, and I and I love or spontaneous, and I love giving that to them. And I think that's the true beauty of the pledge campaign or the, or the Kickstarter mm. or whatever. You're only limited by your imagination. So mm. if I was like, and, uh, you know, with this album, Playing Games with the Shadow, I tr- really tried to come up with something that would be interesting that, that we could do cost effectively. That's, that's the real challenge is, is to doing some of these things cost effectively. If I would have said, you know, we're going to roller skate, everybody's going to be invited that did the pledge campaign and, and we're going to have a big roller skating party at the end of this. It's just you have to think about the parking and people staying. Right. I'd have to build like, you know, 200 yurts or teepees for people to sleep <laughs> right. in. Over. <laughs> right, for this Coachella at your house. That Coachella you're... <laughs> at the house. So. Right. It, there is some, obviously, some... some uh, uh, yeah. lines that you have to draw. Right, right. You, you and I have been involved in a lot of co-tweets together. Like that, like I'm a fan, but I'm trying to be cool. Have I felt pretty cool the interview so far? I don't think that you're, honestly, I don't get the, get the, crazy vibe from you at all. I thought you were going to say I don't get the cool vibe. <laughs> and I was like, Kevin Max, that really hurt my feelings. But no, no, not no, the crazy dude. vibe. That's good. I've liked I've liked um, talking to you from the start. So yeah, we're, we're co-tweeting. We're all good. Good. Because weird people, like, and uncool people, um, you know right away. And I probably, I probably wouldn't be here. Do you have a good sense of people like that? Really good sense. I, if I wasn't a singer, I'd be a profiler for the, for the FBI for sure. Really? I, so you I, just kind of... really can read people. Oh. I mean, you know, people say it's spiritual. I mean, you know, yeah, you can... You, you, God has given me that gift, but I honestly think I could be used by the government to do some really high-level profiling. And, and, you know, for me, like when I start talking to you, I can also kind of tell what's going on with your voice on the right. phone and stuff. And right. I could tell you were genuine, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we do glasses? That's pretty cool. <laughs> no. You can do glasses if you want. It's pretty cool. I'm, I feel like my eyes are really bloodshot because I'm very tired. But yeah. are they kind of bloodshot? No, I don't think so. Okay. But if you want to wear glasses, that's fine. And if no, you'd no, like no, me no. to get glasses, I can get mine too. I want to do, bands, not do sure whatever you want, man. Okay. If you want to wear Brooks Brothers button downs like the, for the rest of your life. I would love to. This is a should. Joseph A. Banks button down. That fits my, it fits me nicely. Joseph A. Banks is, is, is When was great. the last time you were in a Joseph A. Banks? Oh my goodness, man. I don't think ever. <laughs> because they don't sell feather bows there. No, they don't. They don't sell... <laughs> they don't sell cheetah. They don't sell anything. It's... Let me just say that... Let me go on the record to say that 
you know, early on in our, in our career, we wore some pretty questionable things. Um, you know, Toby had us wearing some stripy uh, co combos and patent Toby leather shoes. Did. Toby was behind that, huh? Because you always wonder. I want to say that he was, but it was probably management. I can't remember who <laughs> made the decision. Had a way to punt it away. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. Somebody decided. It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. But then it was like... Then we graduated, mm -hmm. you know, and then we were like, okay, let's wear our own clothes, you know. Yeah. Let's kind of, let's kind of style ourselves. I think the first time that that really started happening was the Jesus Free Tour, and I remember going out and getting a pair of Dolce Gabbana plastic pants. Yeah. When you when because it looked like garbage bags on my pants uh, on my legs. Yeah. You know, when people left to your own device. What about, what about Kevin in those garbage bag pants? How about that guy? He's so and cool. I, and I loved them. I they they really were sweaty. You know, you come yeah. off the stage and. It was a really a workout on stage, it was a wasn't it? Uncomfortable. It was a workout on stage. A I mean, lot. dude, Toby way more athletic than me. I mean, just like going at it. I'm somewhat athletic. Um, I remember those shows. We would come off and be drenched in sweat. Mm -hmm. And that's the other misconception is like you know, performers are just living the candy life. Um, it's hard work, man. Yeah, it seems like hard work. Really hard work. It's like playing a full basketball game on stage every night. Yeah, yeah. I've never done either of those things, but it sounds like a lot of hard work. For, I saw you at, uh, let's see, I saw you on the Supernatural tour, and um, my brother passed out at it because it was so hot and he was so tired. And when he woke up, I remember making fun of him because there were three guys basically running figure eights the entire night <laughs> singing, and he couldn't yeah, make it through the show. Couldn't make it through the show. Yeah. Do you remember that show? No, you don't remember it. No, Do you remember seeing I, you there? No, I don't remember I was, seeing you there. It's cool. I was all the way in the There back. was one show where where Toby jumped out in the crowd and actually um, broke somebody's nose or something, I think. You know, it's, it's a very, very, <laughs> very physical, yeah. physical show back then. I mean, you know, Jesus Freak specifically, mm -hmm. we're going back to DC Talk, which I love, actually. But Sorry, man. No, 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 no. We have to. There's so, much, so, many, so many stories. I remember the first time I stage dove, um, I launched myself off, 95, something like that, mm -hmm. pre-Pearl Jam. Oh, yeah. Jumped off the, the stage and everybody stepped back. And, and they didn't you know, know what to do with you. They didn't know what to do. Oh, and give me so room. Just, I hit chairs. Kevin. And like, you know, I just was like, I just, I saw Toby do it and I was like, this is going to be, fun. this is going to be cool and fun. And I did it and I hit chairs and I was yeah. just like, something, something did. And I, and I realized what he was doing was he was like teasing people. Like he'd go up and he'd see their hands go forward and then he'd, oh, he'd make, training, make sure. Like, yeah, it's almost kind of like in the moment letting them know. Right. We're gonna do this. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I was like, uh, they're gonna get it. Yeah, and so I ran like without any, you know. Well, again, it, it's like my, my my boy Wilder. Yeah, no no even thought of no fear. And man, that first time when I hit the back of a wooden chair, yeah. it was like the 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 feeling of wanting to stage dive just completely left my like my, my spirit. Yeah, and then from then on. Toby was the guy that would climb the rafter and dive because well, he figured it out. That respectfully, he could do. though, too, Toby had time. You guys are singing, and he's got—he doesn't have to rap for another two minutes. So what is he going to do? He's running around. He's got time to stage. That was good. You, you can't even re respond to it That's because gold. you know it's totally true. That's golden, <laughs> sweet Toby. Um, like so, it dawns on me though that all of this, like kids and your wife and all that, happened post DC Talk. Has there been like? Um, a revelation I, period when I just said, I need kids? Well, maybe not that, but like, did you, I don't know how to ask it without sounding rude, but did you like grow up after that? Or was it just <laughs> you now had time? Or what was I saved, like? I saved myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, true love waits, man. <laughs> oh, so, does it I ever. Just, uh, I, <laughs> you kissed dating goodbye. I know you did. <laughs> uh, 
Man, it's a great question. I I grew up a lot after um, DC Talk because mm. I took a step with Stereotype B thinking it was going to be the biggest thing ever because, mm-hmm. you know, my imagination was behind it and I just thought everybody's going to love it. I, I felt like Willy Wonka, like everybody's going to want this, mm-hmm. you know. And when they didn't, and it kind of fell on deaf ears in, in our industry, um, it has a really great following. A lot of people did love it. Mm. But in terms of what we had come from, selling millions and millions of albums mm. to me, selling like 70 or 80,000 records, which yeah. is kind of like a letdown. Um, but I, I didn't let that get the best of me, but, um, and I just kept going. But I think during that time, it just kind of let me grow up for the first time. Mm. I honestly feel like you kind of have to fall flat on your face before you learn anything. Mm. I mean, I truly believe in the quotes from everybody that talks about risk. Mm-hmm. If you don't risk, then you're not going to go anywhere, really. And and um, I risked a lot, um, and inevitably left Nashville, went to Los Angeles, um, started singing yeah. in, on Sunset Strip at the Viper Room quite a bit. Huh. Um, met a lot of people during that time. Um, kind of never lost my faith, but got went into a time where I was just. I just kind of doubted everything, doubted everybody, doubted the industry. I was kind of a miserable, miserable person for a little bit. Um, and then I finally got out of my own funk and, and uh, started, you know, it took time, but I kind of realized yeah. I can do this. I, I mean, it's fine. I don't have to be super successful like I was with DC Talk. Mm-hmm. I can carve out an existence in a, in a, in a, in a, <clears throat> in a career. Mm-hmm. In, in the in, independent side. Yeah. So when that kind of light went off, we're like, I can do this, mm. but I don't, I don't have to be hugely successful at right. it. I think that's when I kind of started growing up and I was like, okay, now you can like inhabit yourself and, and realize yourself and know that you, who you are and, and be happy with it. Yeah. Um, it took some time because I literally thought, man, I had this huge career and then all of a sudden it went away and I thought, is it my fault? <laughs> do I suck? Like, what's the, what, what are the reasons behind all this? And it just took me a while to get to having some confidence again, you know. But Which is then why it was surprising, because then you went back and you were an audio adrenaline. I said <laughs> right. went back. Obviously, I'm revealing my own bias, but it no. did seem like, oh, wow, Kevin's solo stuff I is getting I surprised myself, like, yeah. Yeah. What, what happened? How did that all happen? Oh, man. Well, I was in Grand Rapids. Um... I gave up on music for a little bit. I started writing a book. I wrote a book called Fiefdom of Angels, which I put out. And um, during that time, I I got fat and pretentious and just didn't want to, like, see anybody and isolated. And I think that um, during that time, uh, a couple of my friends really noticed that, that was, I was kind of slipping away a little bit. And, and, you know, they were like, you know, you need to come back to the light. <laughs> come back to the mm-hmm. light. And, a, and an opportunity was given to me. I'm not saying that somebody was like, you know, we feel that Kevin needs to get out of Grand Rapids or he's going to mm-hmm. yeah. go off the deep end. But an opportunity was given to me for the whole, you know, yeah. audio adrenaline thing. And I could have easily said no because yeah. it's not really my choice of music, the style. But I loved those guys so much that were in the band because we did a lot of life with them yeah. <clears throat> that... I got myself out of my self-pity mm-hmm. and out of my, you know, whatever, and, you know, lost 50 pounds, went back on the road, 
um, wrote on the album hmm. uh, with different guys. These are songs that I wouldn't have done myself, right. but I collaborated with people and, right. and it was a great experience for me hmm. to just kind of like let myself, you know, put myself aside yeah. and just do something for somebody else. Hmm. So it's almost kind of like, and we, we were raising money for orphans in Haiti for, yeah. for Mark Stewart's um, nonprofit called yeah. Hands and Feet. Yeah. So that was a huge part of it for me to get back in to do, to do that. And then also, I really did feel like I needed to get back into singing and performing. And it was really good for me. And then yeah. when I was, when I felt like it was done for me, yeah. um, I just kind of was able to kind of find myself back into, you know, the world of being a solo artist. That was Kevin Max. Stay tuned. Up next, he performs one more song from his new album. Listening to Fruit Bats, the song is Good Will Come to You. Fruit Bats. Just, uh, they, they are a problem, they are a pest, but yeah. they make great music. Great music. Great they're, music. They're in our community. I do life with them. Oh man, I got so <laughs> I do many. Life with them. You know what? You know what the thing is about our church? You know what's cool about our church? If a fruit bat shows up, like I don't care. Just come on into church. Come man. on in. I don't care what you're Accepted. wearing. I don't care if you're different. Nobody's met a fruit bat before. Get in here. Yeah. This hey, is going to be a place where you're home. I get news, news flash for you. No perfect people here. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do have a rule. We do have a rule against some people who aren't welcome here, and that's perfect people. Like, yeah. Get in here. Yeah. Right now. We get a we got a fruit bat in worship. We got we got everybody. It's just a. We're about we're about being in our community. Good will come to you. <laughs> Look, her her right. people, her people, her and people. Uh, we're not into that. <laughs> yeah. and, and as we know, fruit bats don't actually hurt any people. No, they're so they're fruit. always welcome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if we're so not getting they just honest, annoy. Deeply. We're gonna get honest about our junk here, and if you're not ready to face that, like this yeah. is gonna be a hard place for you to engage, and that's all right. You can find another <laughs> church. There are a lot of good churches, but this is gonna be a place where we get super real. Yeah. If someone told me that, I would be like, all right, you're right. I got the wrong. <laughs> I actually, I'm really glad you said that. Because I for the heads definitely up. have the wrong. Place. I really need a place where I can kind of hide on Sunday and my kids enjoy childcare. Um, so yeah, coffee <laughs> yeah. would be nice. Your, your church has gluten-free bagels, which I didn't even know was possible. Thank yeah. you, sir. And, fair, five with and the fair trade coffee is phenomenal because it's more than it's about our global impact. That's right. right? We do we do have gluten-free communion bread at our church. Do you guys have that? Uh, I oh yeah, I'm literally making fun of the church I go to just to be clear <laughs> that, I, that I absolutely love. I came up with all that material because that's where I go and it's awesome. I love it. That's so good. <laughs> all right, here is Kevin Max. All right. Well, this is uh 
Kevin Max um, at the official relevant studio, staring, gazing deeply into the eyes of Nick Cage as I play this song for you called William Blake. But really, it should be about Nick Cage, but it's about William Blake, so... He was a uh, English poet, very famous for his painting as well. And uh, I thought I'd write a song about William Blake as a superhero because I don't think any of the X-Men or um, Moon Knight or Doctor Strange have anything on William Blake. Hanging from the trees I hear psalms of kings through poetry I make moments out of everything It feels so warm when I am dreaming Where England's gates are always swinging Fountains joy is ringing Hillside towns and empty dales Are whispering the winsome tales of William Blake partner when I swing you around the library we laugh at all life's problems where church bells ring out loudly and people smile so proudly of nature and its romance and the supernatural circumstance of William Blake William Blake sitting in the garden William Blake no familiar jargon William Blake Dreaming in the theater William Blake Don't forget the pain, dear The monarchy is getting old And bonfires of books are burning cold Imaginations faltering At night we hear the soldiers marching Where England's pubs are thinning out And station guards are staring down From chimney tops and cold grey towers War has come and we need William Blake William Blake sitting in the garden William Blake, no familiar jargon
Don't forget the painting William Blake sitting in the garden William Blake, no familiar jargon That was Kevin Max. You're listening to Swimmers. The song is Harry Dean. It's S-W-M-R-S, all caps, no vowels. Wasn't Harry Dean the guy in a... He was a partner with Carl Sagan once uh, for a roundtable. Harry Dean. He was some lawyer. It's like a lawyer in a show. You're thinking of Dean Cain. All right, it's time for your feedback. Last week, Shauna was with us, and uh, oddly, the question of the week wasn't about her raccoons. Uh, uh, Just a little update for everybody. She'll be on the show next week. She can tell you more about it, but... uh, the the mom's gone and the babies are gone and they've been reunited out in some dumpster in the woods. So yeah, they're all gone, <laughs> yeah. like like in the spiritual yeah. sense. <laughs> uh, but the question of the week, uh, we got talking about the future that 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 film that's being made for you know that cannot be watched for a hundred years. It got us thinking about like time capsules and putting things away. What two items is what we asked you? What two items would you put in a time capsule to teach people about our culture? 100 years from now. You guys did not disappoint. You hit us up on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You hit us up on Twitter as well at Relevant Podcast. Here are a few of our favorites. My favorite hands down was Andrew Michael, who said, I would put two things that totally messes up their understanding of our time and what was going on during this era as a 100-year prank. Uh, so he wants to include an authentic looking diary that recounts an attempted dolphin uprising that we just barely quelled. And then a second thing, like some sort of Photoshop anti-dolphin propaganda poster that says something like dolphins, their squeak spells our doom. It's the it's the it's the the long con prank. He's not going to be there for the payoff, but he knows it's coming. Those are my favorite. I don't need I don't need to see the outcome. I just know at some point. <laughs> Someone's going to trip on that banana peel. That's all. That's my satisfaction. Uh, Dr. Bruce Collier said, I would put the last bit of a burrito from Chipotle and a huge cage and just let them figure it out. He, he's, got <laughs> well, a du- he's got a good idea. They're going to have to figure it out. That thing somehow is going to be full of raccoons by the time they open so it. So really, you They'll got 100 years worth of raccoons, which are probably still alive. Yeah. They burrow in there. Or, or ghost raccoons. <laughs> yeah, we're just the spirits. Uh, well, uh, Charles... Uh, said that he would bring box sets of Josh Groban singing tweets of both Kanye West and Donald Trump as seen on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, that would really create an interesting perception of our time, but not one that I feel like would be totally inaccurate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Ross wants to know, would the 100-year box preserve life? If so, he would put a pair of political candidates in there. Oh, wow. Oh. A lot of people... Uh, a lot of people... Like the Viking funeral winner take all idea. I yeah, thought, I'm happy yeah. to contribute that to the world. Yeah, the other smart. thing that I I feel like the other affirmation we got, Cameron, was a, 
a tremendous amount of Dick Van Dyke support. Yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm gonna find it on whatever streaming thing and watch it. Good. I mean, it's gotta be great, right? It's fantastic. Download the Nick at Night app and uh, just start binging away. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Okay. Great. It's great. And it wasn't. I was 100 years old. I watched Nick at Night. That was the thing. Nick at Night. I would sit at home and watch TV. We didn't have Netflix. I would watch Nick at Night. <laughs> You're feeling a little defensive. I'm, you don't have to be. I don't have to be. <laughs> the public spoke. Yeah, the people have affirmed it. That's right. Uh, Ryan Voigt said he would put in dipping dots in a silver jumpsuit so that our descendants would be so impressed by such an accurate depiction of the future. <laughs> oh, I like That's it. Good. That's good. Like, wow, is this from right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, hey, I, we I, dug up the wrong box. We never changed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's a lot more answers. Go check them out on the site and on the Twitter feed. It's time for this week's editorial question of the week. <laughs> well, way early in the show, like three hours ago. Um, <laughs> we were talking about the, the, we were excited that Kevin Max came on because he was the third head in the podcast Mount Rushmore. We had John Tesh, right. Obama, right. Kevin Max. Of the great interviews that have really yeah. changed the trajectory of our right. lives. Right. The memorable mo- interview moments, not right. just the bits, not just like, no, no. you know, it's whale shark things. Ikea monkey. None, yeah, of that no, none of that stuff. We're talking like the landmark interviews. Right. Yeah. John Tesh, Obama. And Kevin Max. Uh, we are, the question of the week is, who should be the fourth head in the uh, podcast Mount Rushmore? I'm thinking... Chad Michael Snavely. <laughs> Chad, yep, Chad's mom. We already... She <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, it'd be a shame to leave Jungle Bird off of this, yeah. but that could be remedied by chiseling in Union Jack toboggans on the three existing heads. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, and I assumed that, and I'm sorry I didn't say it out loud. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're wearing Union Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is how I visioned it in my head. <laughs> okay, um, I just want to clarify that, so, yeah. yeah. So you can uh, suggest the fourth head for the podcast interview Mount Rushmore. Uh, you can hit us up on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You can also I mean, tell I, us on Twitter at uh, Relevant Podcast. And you know, there isn't another DC talker that makes it. Kevin just represents DC talk. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Kevin, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, That's if good. we have yeah. more DC talk, they just, I mean, Kevin is the representative. Well, many thanks to Squarespace for uh, sponsoring the show today. Remember, you can start to build a, a, a site at squarespace.com for free. Yeah. And if you decide to sign up for Squarespace, uh, use promo code RELEVANT to get 10% off your first purchase. It's worth it. You'll enjoy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and thanks to Kevin Max for joining us. Make sure to go check out his new album. It's streaming at the drop right now at relevantmagazine.com. Uh, make sure to also check out his campaign at pledgemusic.com and for unique experiences and to help support the creation of music. Yeah. And then um, next month in June, it'll be available on iTunes. So, yes. Uh, there you go. Uh, you can follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin Max. You can also check out kevinmax.com for more information. Hey, uh, before I sign off, go get the magazine. Oh, there Realmagazine.com. This thing we do. Realmagazine.com. You can sign up, get a subscription. It's only, uh, I think we're still doing the six month, $6 thing. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's inexpensive, and I think you'll like it. We've We've been putting out, I feel, some of the best issues that our team's put together in the 15 years we've been doing this. So Yeah, the last issue is one of the ones I'm most proud about ever yeah. having a small part of. It's a of. lot of fun. Well, if, good for you. if you haven't read it recently or it's been a while, uh, this would be a good time to re-engage. Uh, you can get it on newsstands nationwide, like at Barnes & Noble and things like that. You can get the digital edition on the iTunes and uh, Google Play tablet app stores. But uh, subscribing would uh, support the show, and I think you'll like it. So, go check Jesse, that out. can you say can you say why this one in particular? Uh, well, actually, Cameron, and I were talking to the other day. Do, with the, the variety that it represents and the depth of some of the uh, 
writing in a lot of the stories I felt like was high marks for us that I felt like there's something for everybody who's like, you know, in our demographic and who are our subscribers. But I also feel like each of the stories digs pretty deep and, uh, you know, just has a lot of really interesting content. I, I agree. Right. It's a it's a page turner, but it's also deep. It's marketable. It's fun. It's cool. It's fresh, but it's also substantive. I, I was, and the new one that we're it's in design right now. It's the same yeah. thing. It's like it's a really good issue. Uh, it's exciting. It's good to be doing something for sixteen years and to feel like your last issue is your best issue, and the one that you're working on is even better. You know, yeah. like yeah. it's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on the note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Kaufholtz. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Joy Agertreed. I'm Jesse Carey. Eddie, that happened. I mean, this was a really big moment for all of us. Thank you, everyone. I want to thank my parents. Uh, just want to thank <laughs> all my friends. I want to thank God. And uh, man, I just want to thank my church. That's just been so loud. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Connect with us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check the magazine out. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Congratulations, everyone. You've really done something.